Hello everyone. Hopefully everything's uh, great with you guys. Just doing a little uh, surprise podcast with my buddy here, uh, G-Man Lives. How are you doing, G-Man? Good man. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's been uh, it's been too long. I think I've uh, I think we're kind of bumped elbows, so to speak, last couple of years. I think I I think I've followed your channel since 2017. I've seen like you've covered more uh, first person shooters than I think most people realize exist. So you've, you've yeah, been... yeah. You always come up. And I think we, yeah, we, we've kind of been mutual on Twitter for a while too. I think just kind of um, sharing very, very similar takes on on games and movies and stuff. So yeah, it's good to finally have a chat here. Yeah, definitely. And uh, yeah, I know I, I really respect your work, your work, work ethic, uh, and you've covered so many of my favorite games. You know, the Doom games, uh, Heretic, uh, FPSs. You know, Double Helix. Uh, just all, all these like games from my childhood. Childhood and. Uh, yeah, I, we've kind of bumped elbows on uh, Twitter a few times, but yeah, I think we have a pretty, pretty similar outlook on, um, say, like this. I, I don't know what there's a better word for it, but like the simulated world uh, entertainment, like, you know, Dark City, The Matrix, things like that. But uh, you've been recently replaying uh, Path of Neo um, for an uh, upcoming project, I hear, and uh, I've recently dug really into The Matrix Trilogy um, watched the new movie, unfortunately, and uh, a lot of the behind the scenes kind of development stuff. So I think we'll have a, an interesting talk about all this stuff. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Matrix, yeah, the original Matrix and all that stuff like that was, you know, when I was a 13 year old kid, man, that was where it all started, I think, getting into gaming and all that kind of that sort of subculture. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think I was uh, 14, I think, when I, uh, I it was perfect i was told that we're going to see the matrix and i was dragged to the theater after uh some family members had seen it and i knew nothing about the film i had missed the trailers i knew nothing and that's like the best way to see a movie uh, is just go in there completely blind without any sort of expectations or knowing anything about it because i think uh if you remember i think that the uh marketing for that movie was fantastic it was like nobody can tell you what the matrix is you have to discover it for yourself that's such a great uh, mystery hook to get people in, and that's the best way to watch it. Uh, I, I don't know how you first saw it, if you managed to get it in the theaters or saw it on VHS or whatever, but... Yeah, well, I mean, in Australia, like, it was obviously different in other countries, but the only trailer I can ever remember seeing for it was, like, this really, like, short 10-second commercial where it was just the scene when Morpheus is chatting to Neo and he's like, you know, you got a little, let it all go, fear, doubt, disbelief, blah, blah, blah. Then he does the jump across the building and it just ended with Neo going, whoa. And then it came up with like, you know, what is the matrix? That was the only trailer that I can remember seeing before I saw the film. And then my, my best mate at the time saw it before I did. And he was like, Oh dude, you've got to see this movie called the matrix. And I was like, Oh, okay, whatever. You know, you're a, you're a 13 year old kid. And yeah, we went we went to the cinema on the weekend, um, and yeah, the rest is history. I mean, we actually saw it twice that weekend as well. So we saw it in the morning on a Saturday, from what I remember. We got out of the cinema, we went home to our parents and said, can we see that movie again? So we went back in the Arvo, and then on the Sunday, we went back, and um, yeah, we saw it a third time. So I saw it three times the first weekend it came out. So that's that's how my first experience with it was, you know? Yeah, same here. Uh, when I was uh, when I was taken there first time, I'm like, I want to see this again. And I think I've saw it, saw it at least two or three times, at least two, if not three times in the theater. I uh, rode my bike multiple times to uh, see Reloaded in the theater because I was on that hype train for a while. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, but uh, uh, yeah, I, I can't remember the last time. I think the last time I, I went to go see a movie multiple times in the theater was probably Inception. 
Like it, it's been a long time since I've gone back and wanted to see a movie. Like what, now I'm, I see movies like that was that was fine. <laughs> so I don't know if it's like just getting more mature, getting older, whatever, or just movies don't quite have the same staying power as they did back then. But yeah, something about yeah. Yeah, it's so. definitely it's 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 a different. I don't know. Movies just aren't quite the same. I was kind of tempted to go back and watch that um that Spider Man the recent one again because I had a pretty good response with that in the center. I just thought that was just pure like popcorn entertainment, man. But yeah, like I've I've never really had that desire to go back and see a movie again. You know, for for a long long time, definitely. Yeah, me neither. Uh, I actually really liked uh, No Way Home as well. I was expecting nothing, and and it's one of those like I could see flashes of. Spider-Man 3 and, you know, uh, Marvel Endgame, where it's just like, you've got too much going on here. This isn't going to work. But they managed to do a pretty good job. And, and it was definitely a crowd pleaser, but I was surprised how much I liked that. It was, it, you know, some things worked better than others. I was shocked at how well Andrew Garfield worked in that movie. He's like, he kind of stole the movie for me. But uh, yeah, no. Uh, but yeah, it's I don't have any, like, deep desire to go back and see spider-man whereas you know matrix as soon as that the credits ended i'm like i want to see this again just like i with i don't know about i'm a big lord of the rings fan after i saw fellowship the first time i'm like i'm coming back here tomorrow kind of thing so, yeah yeah i think it's funny too because it's like back then like it sounds like cliche saying it but there really wasn't like a movie like that like we just hadn't had a film especially with the action scenes like i'd never seen a movie that was like that action-packed in a cinema before like i really i think you know you could just spend hours talking about how it like innovated you know movie action but like there's like the line in it when trinity says you know no one's ever done anything like this before and that is just so ironic in, yeah. in a way because that's like they're talking about like the movie like the next scene after that with the lobby is just like when you see that for the first time as a kid it's it really is just like blows your mind you've, you've never seen something that's just that scale of awesomeness you know to put it kind of simply yeah, absolutely. It was an absolute game changer. And, and um, as I went over in my last scripted video, it's it's not all original, but it was new to the mainstream audience for sure. Like we were just talking about how great Hard Boiled is with uh, John yeah. Woo and stuff like that. And you can, if you watch that uh, early John Woo stuff and even some of his American stuff, like, you know, you see a little bit of it in Mission Impossible 2 and Face Off, but mostly in like Hard Boiled and his, his older stuff. You definitely see the action scenes took a borrowed a lot from you know John Woo style sort of every yeah. every uh, every single uh, you know doorknob and every single uh, window is made out of explosives and, and it also like goes like splattering across the screen and and glorious like sort of a uh, symphony of violence or whatever. But uh, yeah. yeah, we get some hardboard's like the um hardboard's like the poster child for over the top action scenes, and and even like a better tomorrow one and two, I think have some pretty ludicrous action in them. But yeah, they definitely borrowed a lot from John Woo, I think, for that that shootout in the lobby. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I, I everybody kind of references the hospital scene where it just gets like over the top explosives, jumping through windows, shotguns. I love how shotguns are basically packed with c4 where to say they explode everything <laughs> it's pretty it's like one shot in that when he went from memory where he shoots at someone like through a window and the dude like flies through the window like yeah. somehow the shotgun propels someone forward through a window like there's it just like gravity defying you know shotgun pellets in that scene man but it's so awesome and over the top you know yeah it makes sense until you like use your brain and you realize the only reason shotguns damage is because they go through people they don't push them because if they yeah. push the person, then it'd be fine. But yeah, you know, it's 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 funny how all that kind of stuff works in movie format. But uh, yeah, no, I I really uh, I really uh, uh, admire the different 
references and the different obscure stuff that the matrix kind of brought to the mainstream you know like the kind of mm. iron monkey style kung fu you know uh bruce lee kind of stuff which which that got into the mainstream a bit but like the the kind of hong kong choreography like they actually hired um yeah when you ping yeah yeah you ping yeah he, he's you know absolute yeah. master of his craft and and uh kind of jumping ahead i was i was hoping we kind of dig into dark city first because i know that it's uh, eventually we're just gonna be talking about the matrix for hours but um yeah i i really admire that uh they got the original cast and crew together and trained them for i think it was uh, conflicting reports it's like four months uh they trained them hardcore training to get the actors to do the stunts on camera like uh, for the, the first matrix you mean yeah for the first matrix yeah 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 and, yeah. and i was about uh, to say i don't think they did that for matrix resurrections <laughs> no no i i don't even know if any of them do any of their own stunts but um uh to put it in perspective the entire intro of the matrix for example that was 100 percent carrie ann moss there's no stunt work yeah. whatsoever like that's incredible she's like a canadian th- uh, theatrical you know actress she's not she's not <laughs> a martial artist or anywhere trained in like stunts and stuff like that so the idea that they got these actors uh on camera to perform you know pretty uh, they definitely sell their talent pretty well and yun Ping actually like kind of made them develop their own unique styles like you can tell that uh hugo weaving has more of a a brute force like punching through walls and stuff like that uh trinity is a lot more kind of um agile and cat-like you know, everybody kind of developed their own sort of fighting style to it. And there's actually some beat, uh, behind the scenes stuff talking about that. But yeah, no, just the production is just insane. Some of those, so the lengths they went through to, to you know, get this uh, compelling, interesting action movie that also had some, some kind of brains behind it too, which is rare at yeah. the time when you think about it. Like, you know, I, I love Die Hard and it's a well-constructed story, but there's nothing too nothing really beyond the fact that he's got to get out of the building and save his wife, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, there's, there's just like an element of, of like respect, like you say, like the fact that, um, and, and it, I mean, the respect to like when you ping and like the people that are helping them create the action scenes, but then also like it carries across into just how the film looks Yeah, like they, I know, I mean, it doesn't really compare to like the Hong Kong Kung Fu movies, but you have some shots in like that first matrix movie when they're fighting each other. And it's like long shots, man, where it, probably goes on for four or five seconds which isn't much really in in contrast to those films but for like an american film to show that much choreography without cutting like every single time someone punches someone you know and that's why those fight scenes still stand up like i think we probably both rewatched those movies recently you know with with the fourth one coming out and like the scene when you know smith's fighting neo in like the train station like there's there's punches in that scene where it's like if either of those actors didn't duck or didn't do their choreographed move, it looks like they would have got knocked out. Like they would have had a shiner from that. Do you know what I mean? They would have caught like a boot to the face or like being punched right in the head, stuff like that. So I think that's part of why those movies still stand up so well. And yeah, not to jump forward, but why that stuff in Resurrections is just a mess. Like there's just no, doesn't feel like any respect given to the craft of like martial arts in that way, which was like one of the biggest components, the original, right? Yeah, and and I think it's the the kind of practicality and the physicality that really makes it so exciting because uh before then uh stunt work and fight scenes quite often would use camera angles and tricks to really hide the fact that these weren't really the actors doing these things. It wasn't uh, I think The Matrix was one of the first movies that really got just, you know, uh drama students basically to 
you know, perform on camera. And I think that really elevated the film because you're not just seeing the back uh, of, uh, of a stunt double with a wig on. You're actually seeing these Keanu Reeves, you know, kick ass, you know, and that really yeah. made it very exciting. No, nothing against stunt people. I think that they're doing incredible work and they're absolutely necessary in some cases. Like there were scenes where they had to like crane somebody at pretty fast, at pretty fast motion into uh, a wall and crush the wall with their bodies like that's i wouldn't want to do that oh, on a monday yeah. morning <laughs> yeah the, i think the trinity the thing when she smacks in the skyscraper they said like carrie Ann moss from what i remember hearing about it or watching about it was that she wanted to do that stunt you know when she jumps out of the chopper and she like yeah. smashes into the window but they were like nah like for insurance reasons or something i think they said a stunt woman did it and she ended up like breaking her shoulder or dislocating her shoulder so and that's on camera is that's a, like a person smashing into a wall and like breaking their shoulder and that's you know <laughs> that adds to the shot as awful as it is to say that you know it looks cool because someone hurt themselves but like that's part of what captures it as well you know what i mean yeah it's just that raw that raw uh physicality is you don't really see that so much in modern movies because they're usually always in a green screen room or stunt double or that the thing they crash into wasn't real uh yeah. i immediately thought of uh, a really kind of gorilla shot a low budget movie that everybody knows mad max in that there's one shot in that movie i'm sure you're familiar with where yeah, uh yes yeah, so, uh a motorcyclist runs over somebody's head and that's in the final yeah. film. And that was and not in the head. Yeah. 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 Like that guy, I'm hoping he was okay after that, but that was, that looked like it hurt a lot. Like, yeah, I actually knew someone whose uncle was in one of the Mad Max films. I think he was in number two, maybe. Oh yeah. And Red he Warrior. was involved in one of, yeah, he was involved in one of the stunts at the end when there's like the massive chase scene. Yeah. Um, and he was like, he was a guy in one of like the, the buggy carts or something. And the story goes that like, he basically, um, ripped his face off when he fell off this thing or something. You know what I mean? Like the skin got like torn off his face. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but they just sewed him back on, and he, he still looks. I've seen. I saw photos of the guy. He still just looks normal. But that was the kind of level of you know safety and and crazy ass stunts they were doing back then. But again, like you see it on the movie, and you're like, that's amazing. Like that looks awesome. But <laughs> you never stop to think about the health ramifications of some of that stuff. You know? Yeah. And it's it's a lot. Like you say, it's lost with CGI. Like you just don't get. You just don't get that anymore. And Matrix was felt like it was maybe on the cusp of that as well, like before we just started going full-blown CGI shortcuts for everything. Yeah, and we'll definitely get into that, the kind of transition between 1999 Matrix and 2003 Matrix. Uh, but mm. uh, I think just because I think we have so much to talk about the Matrix series, I think we should um, I dig into Dark City first because we're both fans of this movie as well. And it, and it naturally, because it's one film, and it didn't do as well in the box office. It gets kind of, kind of overshadowed by the Matrix. So let's yep. let's uh, jump over to that real quick because I think we both have a lot to say about that as well. <clears throat> so yeah, Dark City. Uh, I didn't see this until I think VHS. I kind of missed this in the theaters. I think my brother saw it uh, in theaters, and he had pretty good reaction to it. But uh, as you and I both recall, the theatrical cut wasn't great. Um, when did you first see Dark City? I first saw it on, like, we had, it was called Optus Cable or Optus TV or something, which is like a, um, uh, well, now they're mobile phone company in Australia. But, yeah, back then they had, like, a like a, a cable thing on TV and they used to just have these movie channels. Um, and Dark City was just one of those movies that it seemed like every time I put, put the TV on, that thing was, like, playing for some reason. So I just kind of kept watching it, man. And luckily the first time I saw it, I didn't know what the whole twist was. Um, cause you know, you just flicking through channels and then dark city comes up and it was, 
somewhere around the start when he's getting chased and i mean that's you know seeing a dude getting chased by weird creepy men in trench coats is enough to get to get anyone's attention and um yeah that's just how i kind of got into it like I, it, it wasn't a movie i probably ever would have seen in the cinema because you know I, I don't even think it really got marketed very well in australia which is funny because i think a lot of it was filmed in australia um but yeah that was just sort of my introduction to it and it looks awesome i mean it, it looks very sort of like comic book brought to life in a lot of ways with the, the shadows and the way everything's kind of constructed so man that was enough to hook me yeah yeah, uh, similarly to The Matrix, which came out a year later, I saw a lot of the um, the concept art for the movie, and it, it was very much like a comic book uh, presentation, very, very harsh, dark shadows on people's faces, very grim, and obviously uh, Alex Proyas, you know, coming off of The Crow, which I, I still oh, yeah. love, I love The Crow. Um, yeah, it's fantastic. Very gothic, very, um, yeah, noir all sorts of stuff like that. Like visually, the movie really, really holds up for a lot of reasons, primarily because outside of a couple CGI effects, like, um, you know, we're doing full spoilers, but full spoilers, by the way, in chat. So don't, don't add us with the, you know, spoiler stuff. Uh, the aliens obviously coming out of the heads, that's CGI, but it, it actually surprisingly holds up pretty well. The, the alien CGI is pretty good. Um, it's possible they use other effects too. It looked kind of like CGI. Um, the the last fight scene, I think, looks a little goofy. It hasn't yeah. dated as as well, but um, they kind of built like a miniature city for this movie. Like they actually built entire sets, like the rooftops, um, a lot of the interesting, uh, you know, various buildings and things. That they put a lot of work into it, and they used the CGI, I think, to kind of warp the buildings, uh, and, and kind of like to. Uh, what is it called? Interpolation, where they kind of morph one image to the next. I don't know exactly how they achieve that effect, but yeah, you can see that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they use like computers to do that, and it it, it has a little a couple scenes where you're like, yeah, it's a little looks a little '90s, but visually, it's also a very very compelling film. And and uh, yeah, this was like a passion project for Alex. He, he, I found the earliest draft I could of his script, and I think it goes back even further. He he was trying to make that movie back uh, as early as 1982. So right. it was it was a big big uh, long project for him, but I think it really gets uh, it's gotten kind of like a lot of um, what do you call it sort of underdog status now because it was yeah, kind of cult status yeah. yeah yeah it's definitely more appreciated now mm. yeah and uh, um, unfortunately and this is all documented in, in documentaries and stuff unfortunately it, I think the studios uh, said the movie was too dense it was too difficult to figure out so that they. They asked for the kind of introductory uh, monologue, which nobody liked. <laughs> yeah, it's just give away your whole film, you know, at the, in the yeah. first ten seconds of it. It's 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 like let's start Empire Strikes Back and have a voiceover, you know, saying who Darth Vader is at the start of the movie, kind of thing. It's just that stupid to do it. Yeah, it's like uh, I can't even come up with a good example, but basically they spell out the entire plot. Uh, there's aliens; mm. they're trying to figure out how we work because they're dying. And this is their their story, and they give away everything but the the twist. Which, honestly, once you have that sort of setup, it's not too crazy to think that this city may not be real either. But uh, yeah, the twist. If you watch this movie from the right perspective, I think the twist is a really good payoff. I think it's really amazing when you see like just that visual of uh, William Hurt like a float uh, floating away and seeing that. Yeah, the city nothing, basically. Yeah, yeah just yeah. nothing in the middle of the of the space, which is really, really kind of a stark, kind of chilling visual. Um, but I, I always thought that that was part and parcel of like the fun of that movie. I mean, like the city reveal is 
is kind of a big thing. But just that, just the whole setup of, of ruining what is happening just with the aliens. I mean, that alone, I feel, just kind of ruins the whole film, though. You know, like yeah. I think the twist is cool, but coming to that journey like together and, and and figuring that all out by yourself without being told it yeah i don't know like i think it all just i think it needs to be experienced that way but then i've heard too that like you know the original i was like oh yeah the director's cut's the way to go but i've kind of heard down retrospect people saying that director's cut isn't actually as good in some ways like i haven't really watched them side by side but it's like certain shots linger a bit longer than they're supposed to and there's like minor edits here and there which kind of bummed me out a little bit yeah, uh, I've, I definitely know what you're talking about. I have not watched them back-to-back. It's actually hard to find the original cut in HD nowadays. Uh, yeah. The the one that you generally see now is the director's cut, but I've heard that the the editing has been subtly changed in the director's cut where they, like you said, have more breathing room here and there. Um, it, it's kind of and a the style. the lighting's different. I've, yeah, I've read too that the, like, the lighting's complete, like the great, like the film grading also is like completely yeah. different in some shots. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that for sure. The... Um, <clears throat> But yeah, I've heard that the 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 original edit is a lot more frantic, so mm. it kind of matches his uh, Murdoch's sort of uh, frantic, um, sort of like, oh, what's going on? What's happening? Uh, who are these people? Why are they coming after me? So it kind of matches the the editing kind of matches his sort of emotional state at the time. Uh, yeah. But um, I, I do think that director Scott is the superior version, just for the fact that they don't spell out. Uh, the entire sort of conflict in the beginning intro, you know, as much as I like yeah. uh, Kiefer Sutherland and his, his voice is like gold, but yeah, that was, that was not a good call. Um, but I, I will say that I, I, I feel there's a couple issues with the film that, that prevent me from thinking that dark study, even as director Scott is like perfect. I think they kind of rush the, the, uh, they rush the reveal a little, a little fast. I think, like, I think it's around the twenty minute minute mark is when it's kind of like the, uh, the, uh, the scene where he first meets. They first find out that the people chasing him are not human. I thought it was a yeah. little too quick. Um, oh, when they have like the sort of the fight scene on top of the billboard or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, and I, yeah. I, that scene I, I think does a couple things wrong personally. Like, um, if you watch it again, it's actually kind of funny. Um, I've been replaying it uh, here in the background a couple times, but uh, it's actually kind of funny. The, the uh, most of them die by accident. <laughs> yeah. One of them falls into the ropes and, and it, it's never really makes sense how that one dude gets his head sort of chopped off by the yeah. sign. That's not really anywhere near him, but somehow it chops his head open. <laughs> chops his head, it chops his skull wide open. Yeah, accidentally. Open, yeah. 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 And I'm like, is is that is that like a is that like a table saw or something? Is it, I thought it's just a little sign that that dangles her arm or something like that. Yeah, but yeah, uh, it's, it's 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 not it's not great action, but like the the whole vibe of it is cool. Like the the yeah, the, cool. like the drama of that scene and sort of the tension there is pretty pretty high. So yeah, it still kind of works. I'm a huge fan of like sci-fi uh, noir, like Blade Runner and this and things like that. So like whenever you kind of yeah. mix that sort of classic sort of uh you know maltese falcon uh casablanca style with um sci-fi i just love it and this movie really has atmosphere in spades like i love the the way that the the city kind of looks and the way it's lit especially the lighting this movie really doesn't get mentioned enough how how really uh incredibly lit every scene is just the kind of shadows the dark shadows while also revealing people's faces a lot of work went into that i'm sure and and um his experience in the crow probably helped a lot because that had a lot of kind of really dramatic, dark, broody lighting and things like that. But 
Yeah, the, the the first fight scene where you see him kind of realize he can do his power is not quite in control yet, but he can like manipulate reality. It's yep. uh, really cool, but the way he kills them is kind of accidental, and it's kind of like a almost like a theme you could criticize about this film is that he kind of Murdoch is kind of accidentally saves the day <laughs> in the end. Yeah. Well, at that point too, he's he's still a little bit sort of disoriented. Like, sure. to give him credit, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean yeah. later on when he when he finally learns how to use it, he can do some pretty cool shit. But um, yeah, I I, th- I think the the first yeah, like you say, maybe the first twenty minutes of that movie, man, is from from memory is just like it's so perfectly paced. With like yeah. he wakes up and you just got this like constant like music in the background. That's just it's not like really overbearing, but it's this really cool like sort of subtle soundtrack going in the background he's trying to piece all these things together and i think the sound design in that movie is fantastic too there's like that sound effect that plays when he, whenever he like remembers something yeah and it's like something it, it's obviously a sound playing backwards but there's like that scene when he's like trying to remember and it just keeps cutting back to the like vision of him as a kid and it's like playing that really creepy like electronic sound yeah and there's that it, bit too when he's he's walking through that room and everyone's asleep and then it plays like the sound of like a, a, a motor starting up again or something and everyone kind of clicks back to life like yeah it, it's it's perfect setup yeah no i think my favorite scene in the movie is uh when the whole city goes to sleep that's just a creepy creepy visual i th- I love that whole sequence where like the the clock the clock uh strikes 12 and then just people shut off even the yeah. trains shut off the traffic stops everything just shuts down and then we see all yeah. these things kind of twist and he's he's never seen this before he's awake for some reason like how how crazy would that be if all of a sudden the world shut down and you were still awake like that'd be yeah. a, a, a straight out of a nightmare and that's kind of what this movie really captures that sort of nightmarish quality really well uh but yeah the the like the sound design really deserves some praise too like i i probably don't remember the soundtrack as well as i do say the matrix but um i love the flashback scenes cuz they they play basically it seems like they play a sped up version of the soundtrack in reverse so it sounds yeah. like either piano or uh strings in reverse so it sounds like you're kind of like rewinding a video while still listening to it and it's a great a great sort of interesting kind of take because they almost treat memory like uh they were just overriding your tape like a tape yeah yeah but it's actually not yeah it's actually not in the soundtrack because i had the soundtrack um on cd okay and it's not yeah like the the, like i'm saying that my favorite part of the movie is really that first setup when i think he's chatting to the guy who owns the hotel um, and the guy's saying, oh, you checked in on this day and blah, blah, blah. And then he's, he's, he finds the postcard and that's like triggering memories. But yeah, you, you listen to the music. I think Trevor Jones, I, I think is a composer off the top of my head, but, um, yeah, it's not in the music. So it's obviously like sound work, like sound folly or whatever that they've done. So, um, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it, I don't think that movie, like that movie gets credited for so many things, but I've never really heard people touch on that sound specifically, like that part of it, you know? And even the yeah. scene when he's in the little cafe and he's like, you know, what do you call those cafes where it's got the little windows where you, you know, put your coin it's like in the automat grab. or whatever, I think in the film. I, yeah. And yeah. like the clicking of that stuff, it's just, it's so well done. Like that, t- that aspect of the movie, um, not to, you know, go away from the rest of the film, but yeah, that's one sort of avenue of that movie, I think, that also just doesn't get enough praise, you know. It's so wholesome how all these, like, little elements come together in this film to make it so unique. Yeah, and I love the sort of uh, general, um, I don't know, the the indistinct time period you're in. It's like you've got kind of old school cars, but you also have, like, this automat which isn't really a thing or at least it hasn't been really a thing in america for a while 
uh, I, it was kind of foreign to me. So it had this sort of anachronistic sort of feel where you're not really sure if it's modern times, if this is in the fifties, if it's in the thirties. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's really interesting, especially from the, from the retrospective of, uh, the aliens were kind of trying to recreate what they think that humans would think is real or modern, yeah. but they messed up a little bit. And it not only does it create great visuals, but it also, uh, it, it, it it's kind of makes sense in that they don't quite know how humans are. And so they, they kind of got things wrong. Like, well, what's the difference between 1940s and 1960s? Who know, Who cares? Yeah. Which, which was the biggest comparison that you make to the Matrix, you know, as well, like in the way that that, like, so not to jump ahead but yeah. too quick, but yeah. No, because, yeah, I had a discussion with the mate recently and he was saying, oh, I watched the Matrix and it's like, it's so 90s, man. Like, all the, the, the stuff in it, like with the different, with the city and that. I'm like, but dude, it's not. Like, that construct of the Matrix is just what the machines have created to kind of keep humans placid. Like, it's not, but as far as I know, like the Matrix, the city in that is not set in the 90s. Like, it's set you know what hundreds of years in the future after we've had the wars and that like it's the same thing you say with dark city where it's like it's their interpretation of what they think they need to create to keep humans like playing along with this overall plan do you know what i mean it's like for some reason we just kind of work better in this like city environment you know um and it's yeah it's the exact same thing you're saying with dark city where it's like yeah we are we in the 1920s here or the 30s or like what's going on here you know yeah i think that uh matrix uh does it a little bit more subtly obviously because it's not quite as weird and and gothic and noir but um i do like it that in both movies there's never any like specific names it's just like they refer to it as the city or you know so and so yeah it's like it's, well, it's the freeway yes yeah. yes yeah, run kept, the freeway <laughs> yeah it's just very, kept very generic and and but not not in a bad way but in in a it's kept indistinct i should say or it's just kind of like yeah. It could be any city. And I think that works beautifully for those kind of films because it is sort of just like, doesn't matter where you are, you know, it's not real. It's just kind of an illusion and, and don't ask questions. Like that's a, that's a really common theme in these kind of movies. Uh, it's like the idea that you just do, just do your day to day. Don't ask questions, just accept things how they are, no yeah. matter how weird they get. And that's, I guess that kind of reflects on how people were feeling toward the end of the nineties where just everybody was like questioning things and, and you know fighting back normalcy and stuff like that so you can kind of see the culture reflected in these movies i think a bit yeah absolutely and then obviously resurrections completely ruins it in that one scene <laughs> where like hey we're in japan it's like oh okay so we have geography now in the matrix cool you know yeah <laughs> it's, it's just totally changed the last three films and everything that came before it yeah it's really irritating but yeah we we're jumping ahead but um yeah way ahead <laughs> but uh yeah i know that I, I it is interesting another parallel i don't know if you're a fan of the of blade runner but um one, one yeah yeah me too uh one interesting parallel between dark city and blade runner is they got the exact same treatment they got released um blade runner 82 uh dark city 1998 and exactly 10 10 years later not on the day but 10 years later for both of them they got their director's cut which they cut out the monologue at the beginning both the movies got that same exact treatment it's kind of interesting yeah right yeah that's that's interesting yeah harrison ford I don't, i've actually i don't think i've really seen the original original blade runner because i know there's like all those early versions where yeah the harrison ford voiceover was yeah was in there which was apparently dreadful but i've never seen like the original version of that i don't think that was the first version i saw and i didn't hate it i thought it kind of fit because i liked sort of the, the detective monologue sort of idea but um in retrospect is better without it 
Um, I will say one caveat. Um, I don't know if it was in the original, because there's actually Blade Runner. I could talk about Blade Runner for hours too, but Blade Runner's actually got a a ton of cut content too, almost forty five yeah. minutes of cut scenes. So they actually, I think for the DVD release, I want to say they actually instead of just having deleted scene one, deleted scene two, deleted scene three, they took all the deleted scenes that they had in chronological sequence and cut that into an like an alternate but if you can find it it's like a, it's like watching a blade runner that was made in like you know the bizarro verse or, or something like that because like everything's different like in one shot he's like reading a different newspaper thing in his car there's scenes from the Bla- the blade runner guy film but he's actually live he talked uh deckard talks to him a few times and um oh, i've seen that bit. yeah the guy's in the hospital he's on like a like a masseuse chair or not a masseuse chair but it's like that thing where his face is planted through the chair basically yeah yeah exactly and it's like weird and they're like but they're also on camera so that, that their superiors know it's 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 a bunch of weird stuff but uh i forgot my exact point about that but oh yeah no there's a couple a couple scenes in that all the deleted scenes that actually have monologue that i think actually help a little bit um there's one shot after again spoilers uh, i think he shoots zora i think that's her name um when she yeah. gets shot through the glass and falls down there's a there's a after the aftermath of that of that killing um there's a monologue about how uh deckard lost his wife years ago because um he kept on showing up with blood on his clothes and he had explained it's like oh replicant no big deal retirement whatever but that it just kind of shows like how messed up his life is that he has to like yeah. kill kill these organic bleeding beings for a living and that's yeah. it really kind of emphasizes how much he wanted to get away from all that because he's if anything is really really uh what do you call it kind of uh he's not into doing the blade runner thing anymore we we know that we know that yeah he's beginning. very reluctant to come back and you know do do this last contract obviously yeah 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 that's the word i was looking for reluctant yeah so i yeah. I, I like that aspect a lot um <laughs> and that's missing a little bit from the final film i i've seen i think three or four different versions of blade runner there's even an international cut which i never saw but yeah but yeah toward the end but um the dark city edit pretty much after the intro is a lot more subtle there's like more time given, less time given, but for the most part, the events play out pretty much the same in both cuts. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just just giving away that that one big twist, even though it's not really like the twist, but I still think it kind of ruins the mystery of who the strangers are. You know, right off the bat, it's like okay, well, that's who those people are. When he's yeah. getting chased out of the hotel at the start, it's just, okay, well, you know exactly who they are. It makes perfect sense. It just kind of ruins that mystique. Yeah, it does. Um, but yeah, not to say that it's not to make. The, yeah, it's not like a, a dreadful version of the movie, but it's yeah probably not ideal. Because yeah, I originally saw it in VHS, and for ten years you could only get that version, so it wasn't a bad version of the movie because people still liked it. But um, yeah, see, knowing the, the reveal shot kind of gets undermined <laughs> when you already know what they are. It's cool, mm. it, the visual of a of a squid like thing cre- uh, creeping out of somebody's skull is still awesome, but it. it it's not as surprising if you assume that these people are human to begin with. So yeah, yeah. Plus, so. just the whole setup with all of them having different like weird little names and stuff. Like they're all like was like Mister Mister Hand and stuff like that. They all have these. Yeah. It's very like 
like cool and like creepy the way they all like talk to each and i think they don't they talk in the third person or something as well sometimes like they have this really weird way of speaking to each other they're they're a hive mind yeah they're a hive mind so they're always talking as we um yeah I love Mr. Hand, by the way. He's awesome. I forget the actor's name, but he... Uh, yeah, it's the Rocky Horror Picture Show guy. <laughs> yeah, he, he wrote Rocky... Yeah. Weird, weird enough, Mr. Hand wrote Rocky Horror Picture Show. So weirdest yeah. thing ever. Yeah. yeah. But uh, he's he really, I think, kind of steals the movie because he's such an interesting character because he's the one, the one stranger that forms an identity of his own because he gets injected with the, mur- the memories that Murdoch is supposed to have. You know, his yeah. artificial memory. He's the Mr. Smith. He's like the Agent yeah. Smith of Dark City, man. Like, he gets the vendetta against um, Murdoch. Like, it's very similar with that whole setup between the two of them. That's like his yeah. sort of nemesis the whole time. Yeah. He oh, yeah. kind of breaks the rules because he just doesn't, you know, what he knows what he's supposed to do, but he kind of has to go outside the bounds to, you know, get the job done. Yeah, it's really a, he's an interesting character, and I love his performance, too. I've not really seen many movies with him, but uh, uh, he's a, he really kind of steals each scene he's in. Another mm. weird little thing about that that beginning scene, which I have some problems with, he accidentally kills a couple of people, uh, a couple of the, of the uh, strangers in that shot, uh, accidentally slash, you know, accidentally uses his ability to remove the floor under one, and the other one, I think, just, like, falls through an already rickety platform. That yeah, one's a does. complete accidental death. Takes a step and then falls through the, and then chokes himself to death. Oh, I don't think he, ch- I don't think he dies because he comes back later, but, yeah, if he falls into the ropes and just stands there choking the whole scene. Yeah, and here's, here's an interesting thing. I'm pretty sure, I've watched it a couple times, I'm pretty sure, it's hard to tell exactly, I think Mr. Hand dies in that scene. So I think that might be a mistake. Either I'm I'm missing something, but Mr. Hand falls to falls. You don't see him die because that would actually kind of be uh, a, a plot yeah. hole because they can fly. But it looks they like fly now, yeah. <laughs> they, they fly now. They fly now. They fly now. <laughs> oh, yeah, we were talking about Star Wars uh, prequels, sequels earlier before the stream started. So. <laughs> I don't want to get into that conversation. But now that we're talking about it, I, I almost want to do another one of these for the Mad Max movies and stuff. Because yeah, that'd be cool. Of, yeah, because yeah, there's also some, some games too, so that'd be fun. Actually, yeah, you're talking about. I, I saw Fury Road twice in the cinema. There you go. We were talking about that before. I couldn't remember. That was the first movie I saw twice in the cinema for God knows how long. Because I just fucking yeah. love that movie. That, yeah. I had no expectations for that, but that movie was so good. I loved that movie a lot. That was great. Yeah. That was um, but no, well, I, I think, just to go back, I, th- I think Mr. Han, he flies back up, doesn't he? He starts attacking him with a knife, from what I remember. I'd have to watch it again, but I, I, I just, it, I had uh, some issues with that scene, just like how accidental it all was. <laughs> um, I just thought mm. it was hilarious that one of the strangers died purely by freak accident, without any yep. any powers involved, but... I think he falls, but we don't actually see him die, so it's technically not a, a plot hole. And they can fly, yeah. so there is a way for him to get out of it, even if he did fall. But yeah, um, yeah I, mean, I, I, like, I like the creepy kid in it too, the little creepy one. For some reason, he's possessed like a child's body. That's such a cool concept as well. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Because there's a little bit of lore. We, they, it's like one line, but I think when Kiefer Sutherland is talking about who they actually are. They say well, that they, they, they possess they, corpses, don't they? Yeah. yeah, yeah, they possess corpses. So, like, a child died, and so they use that as a vessel. So, this is like some, yeah. some uh, ancient uh, thousand something year old alien, malevolent alien inhabiting a deceased child's body. And there's something really creepy about that concept, which I love. Yeah, yeah, very, it's very cool. Yeah, it's kind of odd. Um, I, actually, I saw the concept art. I think that the original that scene with the little the little kid like bites his hand. I always thought that was mm. weird because he has a knife too. So like, why doesn't he cut his hand off? But um, yeah, 
He's just, it's just like toying with the food, right? It's just sort of yeah. for the dramatic effect of just being a little creepy fucker. Yeah, it definitely works out as being a little creepy fucker, but uh, I think the original concept <laughs> art is that he stabs the hand, but oh, okay. I, I guess they might have thought it was even creepier to have him bite it, but yeah, that minor detail doesn't doesn't really affect the film. I, I, I still think that works really well, and just seeing those sets, like those physical sets, like they probably had a building size uh, prop on wheels to, to make that scene where the two buildings kind of... Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, yeah collapse and stuff and yeah uh-huh. yeah like the big clock face uh under the statue uh just really inspired stuff that that went, goes all the way back to the original concept the original script and the original concept art like i love movies that had an idea behind it they weren't just kind of generated from nothing because you could there's so much craft and so much love that goes into these things yeah, and like you say, like a lot of it is practical. Like I, yeah. I don't know if they use. I, I mean, I think they use. There's miniatures and stuff there too. But yeah, like a lot of those sets are just like real sets, you know. And it's like that old trick too. You can see where it's like they've obviously gotten like a hose or something and just sprayed these streets down. So you know, you get like those reflections off the road. So like everything just looks gorgeous with the lighting. And it's um, yeah, it's understated how how fantastic that film looks, especially like you know on Blu-ray and stuff. Man, it's it's still it still looks amazing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, movies that are shot more on on film hold up really well. Like I still think Blade Runner. It's older than I am, and it's still one of the, the best looking movies ever made, in my opinion. Just so those cool. yeah miniatures where they built like an they actually built like a, I think it was like a ten by ten miniature city with like working lights and stuff like that. Like they they, they did everything, but they tried to do the fire with real life uh like um pyrotechnics, but that was the one thing they couldn't do. So they, so they merged, they did a, what they call it, composite where they took uh footage of fire and, and kind of put, uh, added on in post, but all the lights and all the buildings and everything, those are all physical miniatures in Blade Runner. And I, and that makes the movie yeah. hold up so much better than if they tried yeah. to do something else. He was, he seemed to be pretty good at using like little miniatures and those kind of effects. Cause I know there was that scene in alien when, you know, you had the shot of the, um, the whole sort of the bone ship or whatever. And they, I think the story was what they had like little kids in the space suits yeah. to make it look even bigger than like stuff like that. Like it's just such a cool sort of cheat to get, get around making the stuff look more grandiose, but Hey man, like it, it still stands up and that's all that matters. Yeah. Quite often like budget limitations come up with the best solutions. Like I remember, uh, I was really impressed with the effect that they did in, uh, the original, I want to say the original, um, what do you call it? Uh, nightmare on Elm street where they mm-hmm. uh they wanted to do a, sh- a shot where somebody is like on the ceiling and oh well, yeah well, yeah i know you mean yeah, yeah. And, and uh their best their best solution for it was to make a house set attach somebody uh attach somebody to the roof flip it upside down and so the camera shot is from somebody on the on the ceiling which looks like the floor looking up at somebody that's actually on the floor it looks like the ceiling but it's shot in a way yeah. where it looks like somebody's like freaking out and flipping around all over the ceiling and you're like it's such a weird visual that it kind of makes it creepier like that movie hasn't aged yeah. perfectly but that shot was really interesting because it really messes with your head because you shouldn't be able Plus, to do I that think, uh, i think i think the whole set was on like a thing right that they could rotate the whole set as well because she's like getting kind of like sucked up onto the roof at one point she kind of like slides across it i think yeah from memory they the whole thing was sort of on a what do you call it like a big rig that kind of spun it yeah. around as well like, like the camera's a, locked off yeah kind of like a like a big gyroscope or whatever they can just kind of rotate it around and and yeah. uh uh yeah i think they i think you're right about that that was a craven west craven was that west craven I yeah think? 
Yeah. yeah. There's some great shots in that, man. Like stuff that's yeah. still like super creepy. Um, like that, you know, just because again, like it's all shot on film and a lot of it's practical, but yet yeah, like great lighting, just great composition. And it still looks really sort of unsettling. One of my favorite shots is like a shot in, I think it's like Nightmare on Elm Street 4, um, which isn't a great movie from memory, <laughs> but there's like a really cool shot of like, I think one of the, one of the characters is going through like <clears throat> Freddy's world or something. And there's a shot of like all these kids that are on like, um, like meat hooks or something, or they were all like suspended on chains and it's like really creepy. And from memory, it's, I want to say that it was like a real shot. Like it wasn't fake, but I remember that having some really cool looking shots too. Something about the eighties and horror films, man, they just, they just seemed to put more effort into it back then. Yeah. Especially movies that had, um, the kind of really creative, uh, special effects guys. Like I forget his name, the Italian guy who did all the zombie movies, uh, uh, not 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 Tom Savini. I mean the director. Oh uh, yeah, yeah Savini. Yeah, yeah Savini. Yeah, he's done a lot of yeah. a lot of horror movies, and they they come up with some really really creative ways to do those visuals. Uh, sometimes, but yeah, like another scene. It was it was such a cheap such a cheap solution, but another scene. I think in the original Nightmare on Elm Street, they they have like a, a scene where um the main girl she goes to sleep, I think, and then oh they, they, they come to the wall yeah. yeah yeah they just have like a sheet for mm-hmm. the wall and then you just see some hand imprints go through it and it's like the cheapest effect in the world but it works really well i remember when they yeah. when they redid the movie a few years ago and did that in cg it wasn't nearly as effective to me i don't know there's something yeah. about seeing something that we still haven't quite nailed that in some cases especially in motion like uh we'll get into this later but uh i i they kind of showed off how much uh, graphics tech has improved with the the Unreal Five Matrix demo. I didn't play it, but I watched some clips from it, and um, it's really good looking, especially in stills where they show like the real Keanu versus the fake the CG Keanu. But as soon as it's in motion, it just you just you have no no question it's it's not right. So. I don't know when they'll get yeah, that. Yeah, right. it's that uncanny valley thing. Yeah, but if you yeah. find a way to cheat it realistically, it's it's way more convincing, and that's you know kind of tricks your eye a bit better. Yeah, for sure. Cool. Um, did you have anything else to mention on the Dark City, or pretty much, pretty much? Um, no, not really. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, unless just to say, anyone who's you know people listening, just watch the movie if you haven't seen it because it's amazing, and try and watch the director's cut so you don't. Well, I suppose we spoiled it now, but um, yeah, we kind of yeah, spoiled just it. try and watch. <laughs> just, yeah, direct director's cut. Just yeah, I think is kind of the way to go. Universally, that seems to be the sentiment. Yeah, yeah. The the minor things that the minor editing pacing that you lost and the the director's cut is definitely worth it considering the intro. But yeah, we've kind of already spoiled it now. But um I will say But it that, is yeah, it, it, oh sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just gonna mention that a lot of people it's it's kind of been propagated on the internet that uh Matrix ripped off Dark City. That's not really true. Um if you wanna want a well well scripted breakdown, it's in my last video, uh Cyberpunk Part Three, but um, interesting parallels between the films is that um, Andrew Mason was a producer on Dark City. He also worked with um, the director on The Crow as well. He, uh, you know, people aren't bound by contracts to not work on other films. He's obviously looking for more work. Uh, Warner Brothers dictated to the Wachowskis that they, to save money on The Matrix, that they should go to Australia because they have got, they had a partnership, I think, with Roadshow at the time. Um, so they were able to basically save a lot of money by shooting in Australia because Australia is way cheaper than California at the time, yeah. at least. Um, and so the, uh, that was the solution for it. And what happened is that, uh, Andrew Mason, uh, you know, Australian producer who had worked with, uh, the director of dark city, 
He's like, hey, come to Sydney. There's some great shots and some also some uh, sets that you could use for your film. You save a ton of money and you, you get the great production value. And so that's literally what happened. They they saw the some of these streets and some of these uh, buildings, like the, I think the iconic uh, black and white checkered floor that you see in in Dark City, the, the kind of the spiral staircase. There's a, uh, you also see that a little bit in the Matrix, um, the rooftops where uh, Murdoch is running away from uh, just the city in general while it's while it's morphing and moving up and down. Um, as well as the strangers that's also seen in the beginning of the matrix with trinity and that's perfectly fine they re people reuse sets and props all the time but funnily enough uh there was a connection in that the andrew mason did end up working on the matrix and i i watched an interview later on and and uh uh alex preyas is pretty salty about the matrix he feels that that the producer basically ripped him off and then they stole everything and made the matrix but uh long story short the the timeline is doesn't work out like uh if you you can actually go back and find all the scripts of the matrix and and uh all the basic plot points were uh in there as far back as 20 uh, sorry far back as 1996 so like nothing changed since 1996 as far as the basic plot was concerned there was just an overlap in shooting locations and one of the one of the producers that worked on dark city convinced the wachowskis to come shoot there in sydney and that's like the only connection really physical connection is that they shot on a couple of sets and they had a, they had a, the same producer, one of the same producers. So yeah. kind of a little bit of history, but a lot of people really, a lot of people claim that matrix completely stole the dark city, but they're both well into production by the time each came out. So, yeah, I mean, I've never really heard that, that said too much, to be honest. Like I can, I can see how, obviously you've got the connection there with like the cinematography to some extent is pretty similar with like the, just the, the lighting and that kind of stuff, but you haven't have never really made that that sort of connection to it. Yeah, like just not that blatant in the terms of saying, oh, they kind of stole from one, stole from the other kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I, I always thought it was sort of like um, it's like a Leo DiCaprio moment, you know, where you see the same set. It's like, hey, that's the same set again. Like it's just like a fun little <laughs> thing to see it being reused. I never looked at it in the sense of like, oh, they've they've stolen that set from Dark City, you know, because they're both great films and kind of stand on their own two feet, doing their own thing. So yeah, yeah. I think one detracts from the other. Yeah. They were just on a really, really tight budget for what they were going for, like making the Matrix for forty million. That that was a that was a stretch. That's a lot of lot of really groundbreaking special effects. Um, CG was still fairly early, so they tried to do a lot of things practically. So yeah, in a lot of ways, they had to really cut corners when they could, and the corners that they cut were done in in smart ways. In that there were sets that fit perfectly, like the rooftop scene, for example. They had a fully enclosed rooftop set that was built for the dark uh, dark city movie because they needed to move those buildings up and down while the strangers were were uh, modifying the city so that set already existed so they just used that for the initial agent trinity chase perfect worked out great but um yeah i don't think it was any intention of the wachowskis to rip off the dark city they saw it uh, they saw an early showing in like december uh, 1997 i think but they literally went they they had their shooting script in the next march so like in three months uh they were already like trained up ready to go so it, the, the the timing doesn't really make a whole lot of sense you know just for the people who I, I try to dispel that in my video as well but people have really overstate the the uh the influence between one, one movie and the next like the most they would have done is that they might have seen a couple cool shots and a couple cool angles from Dark City, instead of maybe yeah. some stylish 
stylistic influences that could have happened for sure. But yeah, if you look look back, the scripts go years before they actually did a 500 page comic book uh, style storyboard for the Matrix back in like 1996. You know, a year or yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. I remember the story being that, like, when they worked on that movie before that, before they worked on the Matrix Bound, I think it was called, which I, I haven't seen yeah. it on a spot. Yeah, I remember the story was there that they they wanted to make the Matrix when they made Bound, like that's sort of where their heads were at. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, like it's it's not even really a, a connection there. It's just like you say, people saying, oh, you know, well, oh, this was copying this when it's really not founded in anything. I don't think. Yeah, they went from like a low budget, like three million dollar movie bound to a forty million dollar sci fi film. That was a hard sell. Like they mm. they had to really push to get that to happen. So it's kind of amazing that it did happen. But I guess with that, we should probably pivot over to the Matrix. Um, so I hated the Matrix. I don't like it at all. No. Just <laughs> <laughs> right, end the stream right now. Then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, let's uh, switch over to Mason. So, um, yeah, we've already kind of gone over our introductions to it. We we saw it both in theaters, loved it. Uh, you kind of got a mostly blind first watch, too. You didn't know what it was about, right? Totally blind, totally blind. Yeah, that's the best way to watch it. Unfortunately, I feel really bad for people because, honestly, you're not going to get that, that experience today. You're going to get it spoiled either through memes or references or something before you watch it for the first time, which I, I feel really bad about. Like. Imagine not being able to watch uh, Jurassic Park or The Matrix or any of these kind of really classic films for the first time without having something spoiled. It's going to be a real shame, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's honestly up there with one of the, the, the sort of the best movie twists of all time, you know, along with, I guess, like I mentioned before, The Empire Strikes Back thing's probably the greatest film twist of all time, I would argue. But yeah, The, the Matrix, man, it's up there. You know, all yeah. of this is to turn humans into this to batteries like that whole scene is just like mind-blowing um and it, it sounds like we sound like you know old boomers saying it but yeah just kids these days <laughs> kids these days like they just they're just you're just not going to get that cinema experience i don't think it's jaded to say that but it's just true you just you just don't get that anymore you don't you know no and it isn't even just like a, a, oh they don't know what they're talking about these kids i'm i'm just saying like i feel bad because the world won't let them experience this blind i i don't think that Anybody uh, born since the Matrix film uh, one came out can really avoid all the internet content about this movie. They're just, it's so pervasive throughout our culture. Like it's gotten so pervasive that our shorthand, uh, our shorthand term for our world is not real is the Matrix. We're living in the Matrix. You know, that's, that's mm. become like, uh, it's kind of become, you know, our shorthand term for it. Kind of like how people in America at least call bandages band-aids you know the brand has kind of outshone the generic term so it's kind of yeah. insane how how pervasive it's gotten into our community and it's also been like parodied and i think i looked at idb almost like a thousand different uh shows and movies have referenced uh. or parodied the matrix so you see it everywhere now it's it's kind of crazy how insane insanely uh culturally popular it's become but yeah getting that that blind experience first time it's like such a amazing amazing cinematic moment one of my favorite times of the movie is actually because you have no idea what's happening next you're just 100 percent engaged and you can't get enough you know yeah well and it's it's one of those movies where it like the first one specifically doesn't feel like it wastes any frames it feels like every scene is kind of getting you to the next scene like there's never wasted time i mean the bit 
kind of obviously before the final sort of shootout and action stuff is sort of it's not not much is happening but still kind of getting you to the next spot whereas you know not jumping ahead obviously too far but yeah like the sequels like reload and revolutions just felt like they had shit in that where it was just like where are we going with this you know like you got like a five minute long orgy scene for a bunch of people <laughs> that dancing in a cave and it's like what purpose does this serve whereas i felt like that first film was kind of like perfect where it's every frame is being used for something never feels like it's wasted time yeah that, that's echoes my sentiments perfectly i think it's i think it's possibly the best paced film i've ever seen like i can't think of another film that i would never like even my favorite films there's parts of blade runner i don't really love like there's a couple shots mm-hmm. in there i'm like i could cut that you probably wouldn't lose much but in the matrix i think every single shot has some sort of meaning like maybe the shot that where they where they cut to uh, the two people washing the window is unnecessary. It was a director's cameo. Maybe that's a, maybe that was overindulgent. It's done in ten frames. But uh, yeah, I agree. This frame, this movie is so tight. Um, it, it's actually uh, I showed the clip in my last video where um, the director, or sorry, the uh, editor, said that their, his last pass through through the movie uh, while editing, he shaved off two frames out of the entire film <laughs> because yeah. like a special effect had come in and it wasn't quite the same momentum as he thought it would be when he saw a pre like kind of a pre visualization. So he shaved off two frames out of a two, two and a half hour movie. That's insane. That's insane. How tight that movie is. And uh, unlike uh, a lot of films that are also great, um, we've never gotten a director's cut. We've never needed one. Really. It's just been a really exceptionally paced film. I think I rewatched it. And I think that my biggest criticism on pacing was there was one scene where Neo was reaching toward a door and I would have extended that scene by like maybe a second. But otherwise, I, I think it's like a perfectly paced film. There's just the right breathing room, just the right amount of action, never gets too long, never gets too tired of action. Just as soon as things start to get a little, like even maybe getting a tiny bit stale, it cuts to something new. And it, it's just like a rhythmic, rhythmic editing, which is really, really impressive stuff. Yeah, and it, it it's it, it is like you say, like it it the whole thing's over. You start watching it, and it's it's already over because you're just constantly getting to that next scene. So, um, I, I've it's funny that you talk about like a director's cut because yeah, like you, you, it's just one of those kind of films that it's never really been touched again. It just kind of keeps coming out in different formats. But yeah, it's kind of widely agreed that it's there's not really anything that needed to be added or taken away from it. I don't even think I've, there's any like deleted scenes that they've ever shown, have they? Like it's just this is the movie they wanted to make, which kind of says a lot about its quality when you look at the, the what came after it with those sequels. Um. Yeah, uh, no, it, it's kind of insane. I I, uh, um, I think it probably has to do, like, this is actually very parallel to another movie we both love a lot, Mad Max uh, Fury Road. Similarly, um, I can't, I bl- blanked out on his name, The George Miller. George Miller, um, uh, that was his name, right? Um, when he was creating... Yeah. When he like, because there's a huge gap between uh, Thunderdome and uh, <laughs> and Fury Road, obviously like twenty, thirty years. Um, mm. He had been drafting, he'd been working on the script and the screenplay and the uh, sorry, the uh, storyboards for Fury Road since like the early nineties. And yeah, it came like out, decades, literally. Yeah, yeah. So like, it came out in like I think 2015. I think it was. So mm-hmm. he'd been thinking and crunching on that story and tightening it up and and revisiting angles and shots and storyboards for something like 20, 25 years. So yeah, the funny thing about that too, it's a testament to how you can make like 
essentially a two-hour-long car chase somehow still be interesting, like, the whole time. That's another great film as well, like, the way that kind of thing... Like, it's probably not as, like, tight as, obviously, The Matrix is, but, yeah, like, in terms of just raw entertainment and just like you know sitting there and watching two hours of your life go by that's 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 pretty pretty well done you know yeah no and you could tell like that was a that was a crazy shoot they did like eight months in namibia or something like that like that was an in- insane shoot for uh fury road but oh i saw this clip it's great the uh the guy who plays um the big bad uh uh immortan joe um yeah, uh yeah i guess he's kind of a famous actor or at least he was he passed away unfortunately but he was kind of a famous actor in australia did you had you heard of him outside of uh, Max? no not really i mean he's in the first movie that's literally the only other time i think i've ever seen him in a, in a movie okay. so he wasn't yeah he wasn't huge in australia but i mean i would argue his character in the first one uh wasn't like that memorable i mean he was a good villain but it's not like you're not putting that dude up there with the greatest cinematic villains of all time but a morton joe on the other hand is like yeah that dude was memorable as fuck you know as far as movie bad guys go and the way he dies is yeah. awesome yeah it's like one like, of the best movie deaths of all time you know it's great yeah i mean I, again we need to do it we need to follow this up sometime with mad max because there's tons of mad max to talk about but uh yeah i just remember uh one direct behind the scenes shot of um Fury Road, and and again, it was like eight months in in like Africa or something like that, where they shot this. They shot a little bit in Australia, I think mostly it was yeah. Namibia, I think. But there's one shot where they're probably all tired. They've probably all been doing all these crazy stunts, practical stunts, swinging off of moving trucks and stuff for months now. But one shot is the actor for Morton Joe walking down and talking to a bunch of like uh, extras and and uh, stunt people. <laughs> Yeah. On, on this big contraption on a truck and he's like you all look amazing amazing and everybody's like doing the v8 symbol and, and like <laughs> shouting back at him and they're like you could tell they, they were just absolutely having a blast they wouldn't miss this for the world and i just love that sort of uh love of the craft they aren't just phoning it in they they love this this world this whole universe this whole work of art that they are putting together i, I just love that that attitude and i kind of see that a little bit in the matrix behind the scenes too like you can tell they're tired they've been like to put it in perspective, uh, for the Matrix, for example, um, they were had about four months of hardcore training with uh, Yun Yu Ping, right, to learn how to yep. actually look like they can fight, because none of these guys had any sort of uh, martial arts history. Um, and unfortunately, first day of training, uh, Keanu Reeves walks into onto uh, into the training with a neck brace on. He had just gotten into a really bad accident. <laughs> So, and, uh, uh, Carrie, Carrie Ann Moss, she, she like broke her foot or something. Um, Hugo Weaving, Hugo Weaving got a, a, a hip polyp he had to get removed. Uh, everybody got like injured and bruised and messed up and it's like, but they were having an absolute blast. Like, I think it was Carrie Ann Moss. She was like, she didn't complain about her foot being broken or her injury because she didn't want to lose her job because she wanted really, really wanted to work on this movie. So like really like troopers and absolutely really wanting to make this as the best movie they could. Yeah, there's like a really funny behind the scenes shot I remember seeing. I don't remember why I saw it, but it was like it was a take where they were filming something with um like, you know, the scene when Neo's fighting Smith and um they've they're all it's like they're shooting Keanu and they all look like, you know, just destroyed, like they're obviously really tired out. And then Keanu realizes like that the behind the scenes people are filming him, so he like kind of playfully goes up to the camera and starts like shadow boxing it. And he just does this like roundhouse kick as well at the end of it. 
<laughs> but it just like shows like the dude is obviously like that they would have done a bazillion takes to get that scene together but as soon as there's like something fun going on you know what i mean like he's instantly like oh that's fun let me just mess around with the behind the scenes guy you know like that kind of shows like the vibe of that film which is fu- funny because of how serious and how like you know like c- kind of crazy the tone of it is with the stakes of everything that's happening but then those guys like you say man they had an absolute blast making it and that's what kind of carries across into the final product absolutely yeah they really had a lot of camaraderie a lot of like they're absolute troopers that that must have been a hard shoot especially with like the the brand new sort of uh special effects shots like with the um the whole uh camera setup where they had something like 40 or 50 cameras all placed in a row to get those um bullet time shots where they had the the camera moves so quickly that they actually had to shoot with like dozens and dozens of cameras in sequence like still cameras to get enough frames to get a rotation quickly like i heard an early attempt was they were going to try to put a a video camera on a rocket (laughs) on like a (laughs) a, on like almost like a a rails rocket and then just kind of zoom around but that was too obviously too blurry and too too uh, messy but yeah i know it was Stuff that never been shot before, never been done before, that they they figured out. So yeah, I'm sure it took a lot of patience, a lot of a lot of really tough work. But I mean, plus it, to just have faith in the directors, because like like you say, like no one had ever done those effects before. And I think I seem to remember the same thing about Fury Road again, where Tom Hardy was saying that when he was on the set and George Miller was telling him things to do, that he was just like like basically adamant with the director like dude like what the hell are you doing this is not going to work and then it obviously he, he said he saw the final product and he instantly regretted ever arguing with george over those kind of things yeah and it would have been the same thing with the matrix like okay so what you're going to do here is you're just going to like lean backwards on your knees as this guy shoots at you and you'd be like what it's like yeah yeah and then this <laughs> camera's going to fly around you you'd just be like what the hell are you talking about you know yeah. there's there's no basis of what that's going to look like just just say like, yeah, just trust me it'll work you know <laughs> Yeah, and Keanu had already been in movies for like 10, 15 years at that point. So he was already pretty experienced. And these these uh, newbies start telling him what to do. It was like, yeah, it would probably be, they had to probably place a lot of faith in the Wachowskis that they knew what they're doing. And and uh, as crazy as it was, they, they, you know, kind of stumbled into what I think is like action movie masterpiece. I think it's one of the best action movies that has been done ever so i think that they did a really good job with it but um yeah especially the creativity of the how things were shot like um it's very much like a lot of the a lot of the shots also mimic the uh concept art that they had done back in uh, 1996 so like they obviously thought about these angles specifically like at the beginning where you see um agent smith look up um the window and see uh, uh i think he looks up to see uh trinity running and like those were all very oh, deliberate yeah, yeah 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 very deliberate angles and very you know all these sort of moves weren't just hey wouldn't it be cool like these were really well figured out and thought out and uh i think it the kind of unsung hero with a lot of this stuff I, I don't know all the things he did but i have a feeling he probably did a lot of it was um we both mentioned uh the producer i i can't believe i can yeah, Joel yeah. Silver, there you go. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I'd always see, remember seeing his name pop up in all my, in all like '90s action movies, like Lethal Weapon, uh, you know, obviously The Matrix. I think he did um, Predator. Yeah, Predator, Predator, well. Predator yeah. uh, Die Hard. Uh, yeah. Some of these are '80s, obviously. Um, and there was another really good one, uh, Demolition Man, which I actually really like. He was in that. I want to say, I think he, Commando as well. I want to say it was Commando. He did. He did. Yeah, he was. He yeah. was one of them. Yeah. Commando's amazing. I'd, I would fight anyone who disagrees with how good Commando is. 
So, um, yeah, no, it, it's, it's really cool. Uh, uh, how many movies he's been part of, but I, I think he has a lot of, he's obviously, obviously has a lot of action movie ex- experience. So I think that he was able to kind of bring that, uh, bring that to the table in terms of, uh, somebody said we got cut off. Hopefully that's not the case. My stream's still yeah, up. I think I dropped out for a sec there. I think just a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. looks like we're You're still back now, though. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, he just has a really kind of solid, uh, solid action movie experience, which I think helped kind of fill that gap that the Wachowskis, Wachowskis were obviously big anime action movie fans, but mm. they didn't really have a ton of uh, experience yet in the action movie things. Like they just done Bound, that was it basically. So uh, I think that having some experienced Hollywood types kind of make the production as big and as professional as possible. I think that really helped. And I think that kind of also showed a bit of a difference between the first movie and the, and the sequels, because this movie made tons of money, like $400 million from like a, a new franchise, which is crazy, especially for the time. Um, but yeah, as we got into sequels, I think that the, the, the Hollywood studio pressure was kind of lessened a bit because these two had made such a, successful movie that they uh, they obviously know what they're doing right (laughs) i think that was i think that was the attitude i think yeah i think the first movie definitely would have i think i was chatting about that on twitter a while back but yeah it's like the first movie definitely to me has like it's creative but you can tell there was like they they pulled the reins back on it on certain things yeah um and then you go into those sequels and it's just obvious that the 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 wachowskis were like yeah here you go here's a blank check whatever you guys want to do at this point because You've obviously proven you can, you know, create gold no matter what you're doing. And then, yeah, we ended up with what came after that. And I, I don't think all of it's bad, but it no. is definitely like you needed someone there to say, can we just like scale this back a bit or maybe we should get rid of this? And it, it reminds me a lot of the Matrix, uh, not the, the the Star Wars movies. Yeah. Like when you had the prequels and it would have been the same thing with George Lucas that because they just would have said, sure, just whatever you want to create. This is your story at this point. Um, and it just was very obvious that no one was there to kind of like challenge them on certain things. Um, yeah, I, yeah, like, yeah, you know, that's why I think that first film just feels so focused. And Joel Silver would have known, like, he's up, the, the dude's producing it, he would have told them to, to get rid of certain things, yeah, you know, yeah. And I think that like filtered creativity is ends up being the best because I, I know from my, my experience, I know you're, you're a professional video editor, uh, not just on YouTube, but also elsewhere i've done graphic design for 16 years we both have like we both have jobs where we have to get revisions or direction or some sort of uh you know uh compromise between what our initial idea was and what the final product was but i find that good direction and good criticism can make something so much better you know like my my original idea is not perfect and i'll be the first one to admit that it might be exactly what i thought it would be i might have spent hours and hours and hours doing it but somebody might bring up something and be like, Oh, you know, I didn't think about that. I should, I should think about that. And so same thing with, I think George Lucas filter, George Lucas obviously was incredible. Yeah. You know, well, cause uh, I mean, this, the stories are, is it like, you know, they're saying how a new hope was originally like a disaster, like some of the original ideas in it were just dreadful. Um, but it had people coming back and I think it got, you know, fixed with editing and stuff like that. So it, it, who's to say that the original Star Wars, if George Lucas had have created what he wanted to create, would have just been nothing? Like, it would just been a complete mess. So, um, there's definitely definitely truth in that. You know, in 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 listening to your peers and kind of you know taking constructive criticism about certain plot elements. Definitely. 
And there, there was there was definitely none of that for that fourth Matrix film. I can tell you that. That's just obvious, you know. They went yeah. in there and just said, here's, here's the script for my fourth film. This is what I'm making, and that's what's up on the screen, which is why it's a pile of shit. Yeah, I agree with you. And there's like a kind of little, kind of like an open secret in Hollywood that if you've made a big hit in the past, you basically have a career forever. That's why people like uh, M. Night Shyamalan still get movies somehow because he's made a couple really big hits, a couple really, really good movies, but he hasn't made a good one for a long time. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I th- I'd actually say Split was pretty, pretty decent, but um, yeah, most of his other stuff was pretty bad. But uh, yeah, it's kind of weird. Like uh, when you start out, you know, Bound wasn't a very big hit. It made its money back, but Matrix was a huge success, you know, 10x mm. its budget or whatever. Um, yeah. When, you, when you've done something like that, you kind of, people tend to listen to you. They, they don't tell you what to do anymore. And I think yeah. that's kind of, as we pivot into Matrix, unless you had something else to mention, Matrix, I mean, we could talk about how much we love about the movie, but, <laughs> you know, it's pretty much. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's all been said. I, I, I do want to say, like, I think it definitely, I mean, it's probably been touched in any way, but yeah, the effect it just had on pop culture, like, I don't know if you can really overstate just how massive it was like we you kind of touched on it briefly but just like how every movie and every like thing that came out after that just like tried to rip it off remember there's like the charlie's angels movie yeah and there was like a behind the scenes thing and the director was like yeah man like you know i was watching the matrix when we wrote this and you watch that movie it's just like that charlie's angels movie would never have existed without the matrix you know what i mean like it just you could tell that just influenced so much of that film obviously and yeah. there's like scary movie. There's like a scene in scary movie where she does like the Trinity kick and little things like that popping up in films. It was kind of ranged from being kind of funny to just being obnoxious. Yeah. It happened really fast too. Uh, the same year matrix came out, there was a matrix parody in uh, Deuce Bigelow. <laughs> that, oh, I don't ever that, remember that. That, yeah. that Rob Schneider, he like dodges stuff. Uh, it does the same, <laughs> like the, the Neo move or dodging, like, knives and stuff from the the, uh the (laughs) gigolo guy he was he was uh oh okay yeah yeah. Yeah, but um and then like a year or two later uh shrek uh you know parodied it yeah scary movie yeah yeah yeah. the one in scary movie was particularly cringy from memory it was just dreadful yeah i actually really like scary movie i'm not hating on that (laughs) film because i think it's actually really funny but that it's like a really poorly done effect like it's the trinity kick but just done dreadfully then it's just kind of like oh guys like come on yeah, it's like when people at like hold frame, but you know physically rotate they don't, the camera. Yeah. yeah, rotate the camera and then yeah. move. But yeah, yeah. no, yeah, it, as you can see with the behind the scenes footage on screen right now, there was a, an incredible amount of production that went into getting that effect. Like those became almost like entire scenes themselves just to get that one that one camera rotation effect. Uh, mm. Yeah, like I read up, I read up on it. Basically, they have to um, they have this whole ring of cameras that they shoot. Ever, uh, in a very a program them to shoot one after another so that they can rotate the camera much much faster than they could ever do that physically and on a green screen and then they basically in post recreate the entire scene uh that they were in in cg and so that's the background's all cg and then they use yeah. computer interpolation to merge the frames because not even with all those cameras it's not quite enough frames it doesn't have enough motion blur or whatever so they use yeah. interpolation to, to merge all those frames. So it's like a huge production whenever they do one of those effects. And it's just like for a couple seconds. But I remember distinctly the first time going into Matrix Blind and seeing Trinity do that kick. I'm like, what the hell am I watching? And how do I watch more of it? You know, like 
just yeah just mind-blowing like mind-blowing special effects is the best way i could put it just you have no idea that that could even be done you know the coolest thing i like the um and it it's a shame that they never really played on it more but that that one other agent that opening scene's a badass and he just never does anything for the rest of the film (laughs) there's that super cool leap across the thing and you're like damn this dude's hardcore but then he literally does nothing for the rest of the movie it's all smith from that point on but yeah just that just that setup of like okay well this chick's superhuman but then suddenly, hang on, this guy can do the same thing. What's going on? You know, like that's that's part of the mystery of like who the hell, what the hell is is happening in this film? You know, yeah. And that that opening was great, and it's it's a testament to again making a solid action film. I could see many of the films kind of starting out slow. This film gets you into it without revealing too much. Like it gets you really invested in the action, the movie, the setting, without revealing very much at all. And that was a great. That's like a great opening in that you can get people excited to get the tensions up and then you can kind of get into the more somber neo uh neo thomas anderson stuff but uh, yeah. I, I just had to point out a, a commenter meister dejvi said commando has best one-liners i don't know if you know <laughs> but i think g-man is like probably the biggest commando fan <laughs> that i know of at I'm least a commando fan yeah <laughs> yeah it was one of those movies that when i got it on dvd like when dvds were first a thing you know going back again and like I think I just had it on loop constantly at my at my house. I was just always watching Commando. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, those, I don't remember all of them, but uh, I do remember. Uh, was it let off some steam when he like sticks them? Let off some steam, Bennett. Yeah. And actually, the guy the guy plays Bennett was out of Mad Max too. He's like one of the punks in Mad Max too. Oh, I didn't the know that. Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. The guys the guys literally done nothing, but for, as far as I can remember, played Bennett and then played the Mohawk dude in Mad Max too. Yeah. There's some great, great scenes in that movie, man. The fact too that they think that that guy could physically take on Arnie is is hilarious. Yeah, because he's, he's just like this tall, pudgy dude, and Arnie's super <laughs> ripped. It's like, man, come on. There's no way that's a a, a fair fight. Well, well, you got to take it into uh, account that he's wearing chainmail, so his armor was much <laughs> yeah. higher. <laughs> yeah, what was with the chainmail? It was very odd. <laughs> no idea. It? Yeah. Was it a fashion choice or was it strategic? We, we'll never know. Maybe he like kind of stumbled off the set of mad max and just kind of like into the set and like oh he's already wearing chainmail i guess i guess he could keep it on <laughs> he just kept his outfit on when he was in the behind the scenes stuff yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah i know uh, matrix is a huge game changer and a lot of people kind of have come to kind of hate the matrix for some reason i don't really get why but i think it's i think it's kind of retrospective because people have mixed feelings and sometimes really bad feelings about the sequels and also the matrix did unfortunately inspire a ton of other movies to rip it off poorly and my my argument to that is like okay blame the copycats not the original film but um yeah i mean like i said i, I it was more like i don't really remember massive rip-offs but it was more just like the small things where you were like yeah that's just like a matrix copy like it was shots in just various action films that were just very clearly ripping off the matrix and that that's that's understandable um but the, the, remember there was that point too when it just seemed like so many games seemed to have slow motion things as well. Like obviously it's, it, it got done well more than it got done bat poorly in video games. But like the whole argument about Max Payne and, you know, sort of who came first with that whole concept. I think the guys who created Max Payne were pretty adamant. They're like, oh no, we had this idea, you know, well before the Matrix was out. And there's a lot of cool discussions to be had around that. Um but yeah, like it, it, gaming profited from it pretty well, man. I think like we got some awesome sort of titles off the back of that that probably would have never come out if the Matrix never existed. Yeah, I, I remember Max Payne had a long development time. Um, they came out obviously about two years after the Matrix, but I don't, I don't doubt that they had sort of a uh, 
John Woo inspired action uh, mechanic in development or even at least in conceptual phase by then. So I'm not, I, I don't think yeah. they necessarily ripped off the matrix, but I could definitely see that uh, the matrix helped popularize those games. I don't think that Max Payne would have had the level of reception it did unless it, unless people were already hyped about bullet time and that sort of idea. So yeah, I think that definitely helped and that, and to be fair, like I think it was one of the first games to do bullet time or at least do it well. And I love that mechanic in Max Payne. I, I, I would just completely, I remember one of the first, I think possibly the first time I ever modded a game was I took Max Payne and there was a mod that you could, I, after, after playing it legit the first time, I went back and, and installed a mod, which gave you unlimited bullet time. And whenever, uh, you went into bullet time immediately, uh, the song Smack My Bitch Up by Prodigy would start playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so it, Sounds it, about right, yeah. Yeah, so like the, the Prodigy connection with Matrix and everything, like the, yeah, like it, it, was, a, it was a great just like, kind of like my Matrix simulator for a few years because I really wanted a game uh, based on the universe um, until we got them. No. <laughs> there was so many of those mods where it just added in like someone's favorite song to like the bullet time. I remember that it was like one of the most common mods. It was like, you know, yeah. yeah some yeah. cheesy techno song that didn't really work with the context of the game but someone's like yeah check out my mod for you know max Payne." yeah i want to say it was either max Payne or some other game similar to that which had a uh i'm trying to remember which game it was i it felt like max Payne, so i, th- I keep on thinking it was max Payne. but there was a mod where you had multiplayer and um whenever somebody triggered bullet time in that in that zone everyone would go into bullet time but not oh, that's the, um yeah that's the specialist i think maybe that's a half-life mod oh I'm yeah sure. you're i think i'm right. talking about it. Yeah, yeah 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 no one was near you but you just suddenly go into bullet time because it had to, it had to do it for fairness so people couldn't you know shoot you in the back or something yeah but it was cool because of contextual so like if you were in another part of the map it wouldn't affect everywhere else so they could be yeah. going around in, in real time but only the people who are doing the the bullet time would would be in bullet time and i remember that being the coolest idea i don't yeah. know if it was very good gameplay wise but it was really fun yeah, I want to say it's the specialist. I think that's. I think. I, I think it's a Half Life mod. I think that's what you're talking about. That, that, that um, sounds yeah, that, right. That was yeah. huge, man. We, when you went into like land centers, far out. Do they have land centers anymore these days? That's another <laughs> topic of discussion. But like, yeah, we used to go into land centers back in the early 2000s, and that was just like everyone was playing that mod for Half Life. Yeah, yeah. I, I I can almost guarantee that you're correct. I just remember it playing kind of like uh, Max Payne. So. Uh, it was super janky though, but that was yeah. part of why it was fun. Like it was, yeah, it was pretty pretty jank. But yeah, yeah good times. Super jank. Yeah, I doubt that they modded in multiplayer into Max Payne. That would have been kind of a big deal. Uh, you know, they actually someone modded Max Payne into Half Life now, so it replaces Gordon Freeman with Max Payne, and you can like <laughs> play, you still play through the whole game as normal, but it's just like Max Payne's weapons and Max Payne does like voiceovers throughout the game and stuff. It's actually really good. That's pretty good. Yeah um so yeah and then so like matrix was a ridiculous hit and so everybody wanted more and kind of the funny stories about this is that uh according to the wachowskis and uh, pretty reliable interviews that they they said that well, i can't find any evidence of it but they said that originally they did conceive of the of the matrix as a trilogy but the funny yeah. thing is and this is super funny from a 2021 perspective but they were told by the studio oh no no don't, don't make any sequels make one really good film <laughs> so yeah they, so they actually they plan to do kind of the whole the one neo sort of uh plot over three movies but then cut it and condense it down to one movie and it ended up being great but that probably kind of bit them in the ass down the road because now you have a god 
how do you follow mm. that up? You know, so how do you follow up mm. the one? So I think that kind of was one of their biggest challenges for the sequels is because they kind of already had him complete his journey already. So how do you, how do you continue that? And so I can see that it was a tricky writing issue that when coming into the matrix reloaded, which came out in, I think 2003, um, yeah. cause that was an, a really ambitious, they went from one movie, one tight movie to two, back two, to back, yeah. two movies the same year. And the, the anime, yeah. the, the anime uh, what do, you, what do you call that? Uh, um, Animatrix. Yeah, yeah, but like it's called a, a was it a anthology oh, or something like that? Is that what they call? Kind of like a bunch of different um, stories in one. It's, tra- it's transmedia storytelling, I think is what it's called. I only know that because that's I studied it at uni and that was like the one example that they used was the Matrix because it also had the video game because it's like all the different stories, but they all link together. Yeah, I think that's what it's, what it's called. Yeah, it's definitely a transmedia franchise. That's for sure. That, that's correct. I was just, yeah. I, thought, I thought the Animatrix in particular was a, Oh, it's a uh, anthology, but I could. Oh, be wrong. yeah, I guess it is. Yeah, anthology or something. It's like yeah. a bunch of small stories in one. And I personally liked uh, the Animatrix quite a bit. It did. It did one thing I wasn't super super into, which was uh, basically it uh, essentially removed any mystery from the the setting. You kind of knew what was happening, like because it, it went back and like filled in the gaps, like. In the like first movie, happens, yeah, yeah. In the first yeah. movie, it's like you think it's 1999 when it's actually closer to 2199. I think that's the line, and it's like yeah. uh, we'd love to tell you which what time it is, but we honestly don't know. Like that's how little like, they yeah. knew about the now history. we know. Here's exactly what year it is. <laughs> blah blah blah. Yeah, and here's exactly what happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, so yeah, there's a little bit of that, which is uh, a little bit disappointing because some of the mystery of the first film was removed, but otherwise they. What was super cool about the Animatrix was what I love about it so much is that all these uh, anime creators they're inspired by, like Ghost in the Shell and things like that, um, even uh, that weird MTV series, uh, Eon Flux. Eon Flux, yeah. Yeah, they brought all these creators in to make Matrix content. So each yeah, story... Yeah, Peter Chung, I think, is an animator too, yeah. And that's, yeah. It's, and yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, Peter Chung, yeah. And it's really awesome that they did that. It's kind of like giving back to them after borrowing ideas and style from them from previous media. So I thought it was a really cool, it was a really cool moment in time because that had never really been done before. Yeah, I mean, I think um, just to touch on what you said before, I think it it, it does ruin the mystery behind it, but I think it, it kind of works in that sense because it is a side piece. Like it's if if they did that in like say matrix reloaded started with like that whole thing of like and this is what happened before you know the war and it showed all those scenes i'd probably have an issue with it but i think it's just like hey it's like this side thing that is like a cool anime if you want to watch it and find it so i think it kind of works in that level i think the stories that don't really have anything to do with the matrix universe specifically were the ones i found a bit boring like there's like that one where the kids are going through like a glitched house or something like that like that was just pretty pointless from memory yeah. You know what I mean? But if the ones where it kind of like had a connection to kind of what was happening in, in the film, I think there's one, one of the, the shorts was like that kid who's like skateboarding to escape and he's actually in the film. Like he's, his character is like the kid or something in the actual yeah. Matrix Reloaded. He shows up for like five seconds, but it's like, you've watched Animatrix, you go and say, like, hey, that's the kid from that one five minute long short. Like that was kind of cool. Yeah. I keep on wanting to call him Mouse, but that was the guy in, in the first film. Uh, but he basically plays that same character, the kind of young, uh, upstart, excitable kind of kind of character. But what's really weird was when you watch the uh, Matrix Reloaded, you're like, "Who the hell is this?" Because this is kind of the fault of of transmedia, if not done perfectly, in that 
you you instead of building on a foundation with all these other pieces you kind of cut out parts of your main your main story and place it in other other places like there were parts of the of the story of matrix reloaded which were in uh the video game uh enter the matrix, enter the matrix yeah. yeah like entire scenes like live action scenes were were in other media there are entire characters you're supposed to be familiar with that you wouldn't have not even known about had you not watched the animatrix and and as good as animatrix is it's definitely more niche than the big hollywood film like it appealed more to cartoon and anime fans than it did to you know the mainstream viewers so i thought that was a mistake and that you re- you relied on these puzzle pieces from other media so um yeah i mean with the end of the matrix stuff i don't i don't think you had to play into the matrix to get what was happening with those characters i mean like there's that one the scene on the highway or freeway or whatever when morpheus falls off his car and um jada pinkett smith catches him it's like if you play the game you you like literally drive that car up to the back of the truck just before he falls but it's like you don't really need to have played that to, to accept that that's what's going to happen because i mean they show a scene i think in the film when she calls up their operator and he's like, Oh, he's on the freeway. He needs your help. So for me, that was like the entire setup that you needed to get there. And again, like to go back to that character, the kid, it's like, yeah, he shows up in the movie. Um, and if you've watched the animatrix, animatrix, you'll go, okay, well that's that kid from that one short. But in this, in the context of the film, it's just like, this is a kid who you understand that he's someone that Neo's freed. So it's not like you need that deeper understanding of who the character is. It's really just to kind of, I don't know, reference, how extensive they've kind of gone with the universe. So I never like viewed it in the sense of like, you needed to digest all these various pieces. Whereas it's like, you watch star Wars and star Wars just has all these dumb plot points in it. And, and my mates who are into the expanded universe would say, Oh, well that's explained in this comic. And that's explained in this book. Like it got to that level. You know what I mean? Like on the flip side of it. Yeah. I, I was shocked by how stupid some of the extended universe stuff in star Wars was like, there's a clone of Luke called Luke. And I think there's like another clone called Luke with like extra U's. Oh, <laughs> I'm not wow. even joking. Okay. I like, never knew about that. Yeah. Really, really stupid stuff. So yeah, I, I I agree with you that expand universe can kind of go off the off the wall a bit. Like, and 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 to be fair, like most of Ghost and Niobe's journey that is covered in the in the Enter the Matrix, because uh, honestly, like wasn't all that necessary uh, to the, nah. the plot. Like. We don't need to know how they take out that factory or the power plant or whatever it power was. Plant. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah, yeah. it's like a whole game dedicated to taking <laughs> out a power plant, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So like it, it it wasn't you're right, it isn't all that important, but uh it did definitely feel like we were missing something. If you go into reloaded right after the matrix without any of the additional uh the game or the or the animatrix, it does feel like you're missing something a little bit. And like yeah, it, yeah. and like the point you said before, there's a lot of wasted time. And that's kind of a shock. Like when I was in theaters, when I saw Matrix Reloaded, I was completely blind to any of its flaws. I was like, this is, this is awesome. I'm seeing more Matrix. This is great. But like, obviously, almost 20 years of retrospect, you kind of, you definitely see the, the cracks a lot, a lot more visibly when you rewatch it, you know? Yeah. Like I said, I think by the time we got to the, um, the orgy scene, the weird nightclub <laughs> scene where Morpheus is like going, Zion! It's like, what is happening? And there's like all these tribal drums and stuff. It's just like slow-mo shot of like a hundred people getting it on. And I'm like, this, this is, this is not, this is not going well, you know? Um, yeah. It doesn't help that the first big fight scene in the film, I think is the Burly Brawl, um, you know, against Smith. And that, that starts off great. And then it just goes into CGI hell land. It's like, what the fuck is going on? Do you know? Um, 
Yeah. So yeah, no, I, I knew in the cinema, like me and my mate, I saw that with the same guy I saw the first movie with. And we basically were just like, what the fuck? You know, like kind of at the same time when we got, when you start getting really into that movie, um, that's not to say it's bad, but it's definitely from the, from the get go, you can tell this is, this is on a whole different scale to the first film. I mean, it has that whole shot of them going to Zion. It's like this massive wide shot and you've got all like the mech suits running around and there's all these council people and different factions that are controlling things. It's, it's a different league, man, to that first film entirely. Yeah, definitely more ambitious, kind of try to build it out. But uh, in a way, like, I kind of liked the fact that Zion's entire backstory and lore was sent, was summed up in like a sentence or two by, I think it was Tank or uh, uh, one, of the, one of the other crew in, um, in the original film. It's like, Zion, the last human city, the only one we have left, you know, it's inside the Earth's core because it's the only place that's warm enough. Like, that's yeah, all you that's need. That's all you need. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's all you need. No more. Yeah. Done. That's it. Then he's like, how do you get there? He's like, oh, you know, I, th- I think he asked him something like that. Like, where is it? And he's, yeah, that's his response. So it's just in the center of the earth. That's all you need to know. Yeah, yeah. And and we imagine all sorts of things. Um, what we did not imagine is, uh, I, I guess we're, I, I don't know what, what order we're on attack, but I guess we're talking about Matrix Reloaded at this point. So let me, let me pivot to that. <laughs> it's fine. It's going to bounce back and forth. Uh, yeah, the, the, I did not expect Zion to look like that. Like from, from what I, like humanity was on its knees. I, I thought that like the, the Nebuchadnezzar was like one of a couple of ships and there was like a small little podunk uh, colony sort of half built around the warmth of the earth's core. That seems pretty desolate. So when you see this huge thing with like, you know, VR program, uh, people tapping away at oh, vr screens god, to open yeah. up the gates and like, several say, like welcome home nebuchadnezzar and stuff like this oh god it's bad yeah it, it was not is not at all what we imagined i think uh we now know that that's what it is but if you like i when i did my video about it earlier in the year i was like um i'm trying to look at the matrix as like as it was at the time and re-watching it purely from a 1999 standpoint and it was and if you imagine what zion was and all these other things were from that perspective it was completely different from what they showed um and like it kind of honestly it kind of like uh kicked morpheus in the balls he wasn't that important he was actually kind of a lesser person in the grand uh, chain of things and i didn't think we necessarily thought that he was the leader but he seemed like a pretty important guy or at least mm. uh but it seems like a lot of people kind of disrespected him or didn't really care who he was which i kind of, I kind of sucks because he was one of my favorite parts of the original film just his leadership and his unwaveringly uh he was like a, a unwaveringly uh convinced in his beliefs you know he would he believed in the one and he was proven right at the end and that, that was a great that was a great kind of uh it was like his defining character is that he was always certain and had conviction yeah and then he, he gets back to zion and you've got the whole like morpheus you were ordered to return to zion at t800 hours you you know report to counselor whatever for you know debriefing and stuff like this it's like that's not that wasn't the preface of what the whole thing was set up to be like you know you've no. got this whole hierarchy of people that sit on a council with you know dressed up like hippies that just talk about things all day and and all these different sort of military people that are controlling who goes in and out of the city and stuff yeah i agree it just it didn't match with how they how they built the whole world around it in the first film yeah it was very kind of structured they had like a whole council slash congress whatever they had a sort of military ranks and things like that i kind of imagined it's sort of a commune where like everybody was kind of equal 
Um, very, it was so small that they didn't really have enough population or space to really enforce roles and governments necessarily. But yeah, it, it, they made it a whole lot bigger, which I think was was not necessarily a mistake. But I didn't like that direction so much. It should have been. It should have been the Terminator One scene. You know, when you have the flashback where Kyle Reese goes back to yeah. like the Resistance base, and they're all like huddling in front of TVs that have fire in them for heat. That's what it should have been, really. I mean, on a grander scale, because you've got people who've created hovercrafts, but I mean, you, you don't need fleets of giant mech machines. It actually kind of just seems stupid. It's like, well, how, how is it so hard to fight back when you've got you're obviously mass-producing mech suits that have got you know machine guns on both arms and stuff like this. Everyone's got their own little personal quarters, and they're obviously not really struggling for resources because no one looks like they're starving to death or anything. Um, everyone's clean, and they've got nice hair and stuff. So it's like, really, you, is, is are things going that bad? Like, I don't know, man. Just I'd probably just be laying low if I got out of the Matrix at that point. I wouldn't really trying to be fighting back at that stage. I'd just be living life. I don't, I don't know. Like, it didn't really portray such a terrible world to be living in, you know? Yeah, it also kind of undermined the importance of somebody beating the matrix's code like a lot of people didn't even believe that neo was anything special because like oh you're just you're just that kind of religious nut who did something in the matrix woohoo we've got bigger things to worry about that kind of mm. really kind of felt like i was undermining the importance of the first film you know i think it would have yeah. been i think there should have been obviously you need a bigger newer conflict to stretch across two films but there was there was a certain amount of stepping back a bit from the first film like I, I mentioned this in a conversation with somebody else the other day where I was like, they didn't remove any powers from Neo, but we assumed that he could do a lot more than just fly around and stop bullets, and punch right? And a little bit harder, yeah. Yeah, we assumed he could pretty much write the, and almost explicitly are told that he can now write the code as he, uh, the Matrix as he sees fit, or he can remake the, the Matrix as he sees fit. So we assumed that mm. he could, that flying and bullet, bullet stopping and stuff like that was just the beginning of his powers. But uh, the reloaded makes us think that that's the end of his powers too, which is a little, a little bit of a, a, a hard pill to swallow, so to speak. <laughs> well, it's always too like I think the first film, um, and I don't think I'm alone in saying that, but it really just didn't feel like it needed a sequel. Like it really had like a final ending in the sense of like you know, okay, I'm the one as it was kind of prophesized or whatever. Like you say, it ends with him saying, I'm going to show the people what you don't want them to see. In essence of like, okay, well, that's it. Like humanity's one. He flies off and that's it. But yeah, it's like, well, where do you go from that point? And you can't really take a character at that point who's God mode. Um, you kind of have to like ground him a little bit, I guess, uh, again, I guess, like to kind of just make sense of the character. Um, but it's like, yeah, what are you going to do? Like, you're not just going to stay plugged in the Matrix the whole time. You've got to come out at some point and eat and stuff. So ironically it's like you kind of realistically had to do that and show what happens when he's not plugged in but that's the most boring stuff in the movie man like get get out of Zion I don't care about all this crap in Zion get back to the Matrix like get back to you know what the film is named after you need to get back to that point as soon as possible yeah and I I, I haven't counted the minutes I'm sure somebody has but about good probably 60 to 75 percent of the Matrix is in the Matrix you only get about a quarter or more Oh, the first um, one, yeah, 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 yeah. It, it yeah. Outs in the real world, which I thought was a good ratio. I think mm. Reloaded's probably more like fifty-fifty, and I'd say Revolutions is more like seventy-five twenty. The opposite, where most yeah. most of the film is in the real world, and very little of it is in the Matrix. Which that ratio is interesting in that that's also the ratio of how much I like the movies. 
Yeah, I think it's about an I think it's about an hour into reload until he actually finally goes back in and starts like fighting Smith and all that kind of stuff from memory. I think yeah. like literally the first hour reloaded is all the Zion. There's a bit at the start when he fights the new agents, but that goes for like ten minutes and then it's just Zion shit for like, yeah, a good thirty, forty minutes of the film from memory. Yeah, and they didn't really I don't think they really knew how to start the film, unlike the original film, which they knew exactly how to get you into invested in the film. Like they, they do like a quick like a, an early teaser of a later fight with Trinity. And to be fair, oh, that's right, yeah. the production values of that are incredible. They look, they look really, really, really good. The explosions and the camera angles and stuff looks great, but it's basically the same fight scene over again. Just, you know, later on you get a quick cut, I think of it, but um, yeah. And then we get into like the kind of meeting and stuff and it just, it didn't, the movie didn't really know when to go fast or when to go slow or when to kind of pick up the pace. It was just kind of meandering there for a bit. I think it kind of uh, picks up uh, uh, the my the highlight of Reloaded, in my opinion, is the Chateau. I think it kind of picks up there. Yeah. But yeah. when you think about it, uh, most of the movie is side quest, <laughs> kind of <laughs> like quest too at the end. Then when they need to get the guy out as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like the the key maker, the key, the thing to get into the room to the, do the thing. We don't even know what's in there yet. Like it's yeah. all kind of like. Uh, it, it reminds me a lot of, uh, in retrospect, kind of reminds me a lot of the Star Wars sequels uh, as well, when, and especially the the last one, Episode Nine, where it's just like getting uh, the MacGuffin to get the next MacGuffin to get to the next MacGuffin to get to the scene that's important. And I don't, again, you know, uh, com- comparing to the original again, the original film felt like there was always a reason for every single scene. There's always mm. like either character development or learning something new. It was always spoon feeding us or spoon either character progression or some sort of important facet or rule or law or system that we now not had to understand. Whereas mm. it, it almost felt like the matrix reloaded as cool as the action was at times. I didn't really like the blur- burly brawl, but I did like uh, the Chateau fight. Cause that was mostly practical effects. Yeah, it was all practical, I think, pretty much, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Even You could even see the people on wires, like, spinning from, from uh, staircase to staircase and stuff. Very great, like, mix of weaponry and things like that. And it made sense, I guess, because now bullets are useless. But wouldn't uh, swords also be useless? But <laughs> I guess we're not supposed to think about that. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, just, it felt a lot more meandering. Like, it was kind of keeping Neo busy while... Because if Neo was able to get to his friends immediately, he would just wreck house you would just destroy everybody so it was a little bit of keeping neo busy because we made him too powerful kind of thing that's what i kind of got got from the second movie yeah i mean i think like you say when people talk about how bad it is and it, it is it is pretty crappy uh, maybe bad maybe bad's a bit harsh but it's it's pretty crappy it's like like the, the one thing i always like go straight to is that one scene where the merovingian craps on for like 10 minutes yeah. about a cake that gives a woman an orgasm or something like that one scene when he just like what purpose does this have no. on the whole the rest of the story it really is just like it's it's not getting us to the next point it's just let's just sit here and watch a dude talk about an orgasm cake for 10 minutes you know and then it finally gets to the next scene where they make the deal with his wife or something to, to rescue the key maker like it, it just it, it's just pointless but it, it was just wasted time to get us to that next point to find the key maker but it's like you say like it, it, the, the first film never had those scenes that were just simply filling time. It was always like, no, nah, we're getting to this next point. And it's the same thing with that whole like Zion bit at the start when he's getting chastised by the council. I can't remember the dialogue because I, I pretty much wipe out during those scenes and ignore it. But it's just 
it's just filler, man, to get to the next point, to the next kind of action scene. It wouldn't surprise me if they wrote the action scenes first and then they kind of built the story around that. I kind of get the sense of that sometimes. Do you know what I mean? That, that happens, I know the freeway yeah. scene. Yeah, I know the freeway was, they built a whole freeway for that sort of, that action scene. And it wouldn't surprise me if that was almost kind of like the pitch of like, we're going to have this freeway scene and like they start building that first and they just kind of keep filling in the blanks of what's going to happen around it. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put a bastard for that. That actually happens sometimes. Uh, uh, I guess the last couple of Mission Impossible movies, they had had the set pieces for the action scenes first and the script after that. And so mm. scriptwriters would have to kind of figure out, okay, well, how do we get the people from point A to fighting on the top of a plane, you know, or something like that, you know, like uh, that's just an example, but uh, it does happen, I guess, in, in some things. And because they, these action sets take a lot of planning, a lot of work to, to make them uh, actually look good and properly produced. So they, it is quite possible. I, I don't have any data on that. I've not dug into what came first, the, the action or the script, but it has happened uh, later on, at least if not before as well. So. Yeah. But yeah, it does seem like busy work, like especially for uh, Neo, like there isn't really a, I guess later on there's a payoff for the whole uh, Agent Smith, you know, cloning himself, eventually kind of clones himself into the whole world and, and the Matrix is basically ruined because of that. Yeah. But that almost seemed like, all right, who else do we have? Okay, I guess, guess what? Agent Smith is was popular in the first one. Like he probably should have been gone in the first film, but he... He kind of he didn't really come back because he was necessarily uh, it was necessarily important for him to come back, but because people loved him so much, you know what I mean? Yeah, decisions no, like exactly. that. It was decisions like that yeah. that kind of made the uh, the the sequel kind of definitely more flawed than the original. Like I, I reckon I could guarantee that the Burly Brawl thing came out of a conversation of someone going like, "How cool would it be if Neo fought like a hundred Smiths at once?" Like that, <laughs> I guarantee that's how that scene came together. It was never written like. You know, then Smith turns out like that was guaranteed that that was the thought process first and foremost, and then they write what happens around that. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, and, and then, yeah, I mean that. Yeah, no, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. Yeah, I've been talking a lot. Yeah, no, I was just gonna. Yeah, and I was gonna say, and then it kind of flows into that third film. It's like, well, where do you go from that point? Like, that's just they just kind of make him up to be the big bad villain, you know? When really he like, why is he coming back when Neo just kind of smoked him in the end of that first film? Like, it's just like you say, it felt more out of necessity than actually creativity to bring him back for that reason. Yeah, it's just bringing back a character because they were popular. It reminds me of bringing back Palpatine in Episode Nine. It's like, oh, uh, who do we got oh, that geez. people liked? Okay, cool, let's bring him back, and yeah. it's just. Like, I, I love Hugo Weaving. He's great. I've seen a lot of movies outside of The Matrix, and I think he's a very talented actor. But uh, the, yeah, he didn't need to come back. I, I think that his particular experience was no different from any of the other agents. Like, he had, a, he had a semblance of something unique because he was actually, like, he took his earpiece off in the first movie and sort of kind of admitted his own motivations to, to Morpheus, saying that he hates this whole thing. He wants it all gone. You know, he despises humans. He despises uh, the stink of the Matrix. And he just wants the, the, the keys to Zion so he can erase any threat so he doesn't have to exist anymore in this, in this filthy VR simulation. Like, I, I like that bit because it kind of gave him some character outside of just the, the, the Matrix hive mind. But, yeah, he didn't need to come back. I, th- I would have been fine with some, some new threat or some new villain, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, why, like, you got the Merovingian. They could have just built upon that guy as the villain, the antagonist for the next thing, and just kind of worked away into making him more of a threat. Instead, he's just kind of this weird, pompous French dude who, yeah, makes the... I still can't get over it, the, the weird thing about the cake that <laughs> gives gives a woman an orgasm. And then he goes off and gets, you know, a sneaky beige in the bathroom or something, even though he's got a smoking hot wife. It's like, okay, it, it's just it's rubbish, man, you know? Yeah, and, um, and like I guess, I guess, doesn't go anywhere. yeah, computers then can now feel emotions. They can now love. They can get jealous. They we're dropping a lot of stuff on here without getting in very far into it. Um, all of a sudden, and and yeah, I could see like I don't want to backseat right the Matrix sequels. That's kind of silly, but I could see something like that kind of being an interesting plot if it were written in a different way. Like maybe some powerful program, like a rogue program, like say the Merovingian was trying to take over the matrix um versus the order the the kind of predictable order of the machines you know like a rogue ai is more of chaotic uh less less uh, controlled less orderly less lawful whereas the machines we despise them but they at least have the like a code or a moral ethics or whatever like in a way they have a system that they that they conform to i could see that being like a conflict in the film like Maybe uh, you know you might have you might have touched onto it, man. Like when you were mentioning Smith before, like that probably would have been the logical step to take. It is that mm-hmm. the Merovingian kind of leads this group of similar programs like Smith who went rogue, right? And then that's kind of like his army that he's built to take over the Matrix. That would have been a way more kind of cohesive step to take it. You actually maybe you just tapped into it then. You might have just figured out the sequels to fix them. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be the Merovingian. Maybe they could have developed Smith more because despite Smith being able to replicate himself a million times over, he doesn't really seem like that much of a threat, especially to Neo until at the very, very end of the second of the uh, third film, I should say. And, and also they just like about 30 minutes in throw in the idea that a computer can take over a human mind, like in the real yeah. world, like that, that, that was like, Ooh, you got to earn that guys. You got to earn that. That's a, that's a bit of a leap right there. <laughs> can we just talk about the fact how, no one picked up on the fact that that guy was acting exactly like Agent Smith when he came out of this machine. He's yeah. like, if I'm not me, then who am I? Didn't someone have to go at some point, hang on, man, this guy sounds a lot like Agent Smith, you know? Didn't, yeah. Did no one put the pieces together at some point, you know? Yeah. Uh, this, and this is another kind of inconsistency I noticed in the sequels in that this the city is so big, Zion is so big, and the structure is so vast, and they have like a pecking order and chain of command and stuff. But yet they're so incredibly trusting of other humans. So they treat mm. each other as if they, they don't, like, it, it kind of works this way. In like a small town, everybody trusts each other. But in a big city, a big city everybody distrusts each other. Like, the more yeah. people you have, the more of a, of a mistrust and the more of suspicion and assumption that people might do something bad. So they kind of acted toward, toward I guess his name was Bane, the, the guy we knew for five seconds before he was taken over by agent smith oh uh, his name was it yeah i think it was bane which is yeah, great great name right um yeah. <laughs> might as well call him evil guy but uh yeah. uh they just like assume that he's on the up and up even after he's found in i think this is revolutions but even after he's found the only survivor and everyone else is dead and the ship was obviously sabotaged they still don't lock him up so like the the, the kind of attitude that they have were like oh we are all humans. We're on the same side. We also have ten thousand people, and we have a, a pecking order, and you know, we lock people up and and all that other stuff. Something doesn't. One of those works. One of those doesn't. You know what I mean? 
no, there, it should, there's a definite eyebrow raising moment there of why that dude wasn't looked upon with a bit more scrutiny. Yeah, yeah. when he comes out acting like a super mega weird dude, like super creepy, um, and his entire crew has vanished, kind of thing. Yeah, it, it doesn't doesn't quite connect properly. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to talk about Reloaded without talking about Revolutions, but I definitely appreciated. Uh, I definitely appreciated Reloaded more because I guess it just kind of even if the the characters and the the world building wasn't as up to snuff it still had like more solid in matrix action which i appreciated like i, I do really enjoy the chateau and the uh later on the crazy freeway uh chase scene uh yeah. even if if you take it into context of like this was kind of just a again uh the second or third scene of getting the keymaker and evading bad guys like that was just like three scenes in a row of that, it still was an entertaining action scene for sure. For sure. Uh, yeah. Uh, I think, yeah. I mean, I think it definitely is held up by the action. It's just a shame that the stuff that sort of comes in between, it's often incomprehensible and doesn't really connect that well. But um, no one, like, yeah, I think when you see most people talking about those, those sequels, that that's gen- generally the consensus is that they're pretty dumb films, but the action's okay. I just have issues with the just the lack of practical effects versus CGI in a lot of the different scenes. Like, um, like you say, the Chateau thing is so fantastic because it's clearly film uh, shot with live action stuff. The dudes who are, who is fighting are clearly trained. Everyone's choreographed. You have those like lingering shots that go on for like five, five, six seconds of just really cool looking fight choreography. Um, but then, yeah, it's just kind of ruined by that burly brawl thing when, as soon as he picks up that pole out of the ground, it just turns into like a video game and just these inhuman. And I seem to again to remember BTS stuff where the Wachowskis were saying how, you know, now with CGI, we can create anything we want. We can do this, this and this. And it's like, but you kind of, it's not as impressive anymore, you know, because you watch the shot, like you say, you watch that first film and you see, you saw the shots in that for the first time and your brain just goes, how the fuck did they do that? Yeah. (laughs) Whereas you see some of that stuff now and reloaded, it's like, oh, well, that's just a computer. You know, it's not, that's not impressive, you know? Yeah, what really kind of sent you for a loop in the original uh, and some of the shots in the sequels um, is that you could tell it was real, but there's no way you could do that in reality. That's what really tripped you up. It's like you could tell that's actually a real life Trinity right there kicking somebody, but that shot is impossible. And that's what really kind of engages you in the shot because it's a combination of unreality and reality. Whereas I had no quite, even in 2003, I thought the early brawl looked terrible. I remember distinctly. Thinking, oh, it's dreadful. Yeah. 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 Even at the de- at the time, it looked really bad because um, I'd already dabbled in. It like... starts off good. Yeah. I, th- I think it starts off good because like, it is yeah. live action. But then, like I say, once he gets the pole like, is, and he start, he, there's that shot when he's like running around them and he's like doing like a stripper pole thing and he's just spinning around. It's like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. That's just, like, it's so dreadful. Yeah. They really could have gotten creative with that. Like, you, there have been CGI crowds and stuff before in movies and, th- and those work pretty well. Because it was, uh, it was distant enough and they put, you know, like a, a lens blur on it or, you know, or you're not focused on that. But when the entire shot becomes CGI, that's, that's when things really kind of go off the rails because you have no, you have no, uh, no reality. Like it's just it, like hard cut from live action to all CGI. <laughs> And the motion's all yeah. wrong. So, yeah, no, it definitely didn't work out that well. I, I like the Chateau. I like the, the chase. Beginning of the Burly Brawl, um, they actually had a bunch of people dress up just like Agent Smith, and then they used uh, computers to place his face on all of them. 
So yeah, was... one of my mates was an Agent Smith in that scene too. Actually, oh really? That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He was one of the world. Smiths. Small world. Yeah. Did, did they shoot that in Sydney as well? Yeah, they shot parts of it in Sydney. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I wasn't wasn't sure about the sequels, but uh, yeah. yeah. And then there's also just the I think the acting quality needs to be talked about. Like, there's actually a great a great article that um, uh, what's his name, Bill Pope, uh, the cinematographer, talks about his experience because he was he, he was the guy that they did the first movie with and a lot of the same actors, a lot of the same directors, uh, same writers, everything in the second movie. But you'll notice the second and third movie, everybody just seems very, very dull. And I always wondered about that. Um, and there's actually a really good reason for it. Bill Pope says that between the first film and the second and third films, uh, the Wachowskis read a book by, uh, oh, what's, what's the guy who directed the shining Kubrick, Stanley Kubrick. And, uh, in his book about directing, he says that to get natural takes from actors, you have to wear them out. So sometimes you, it might take 90 takes to get a natural, natural take. These two movies, these two sequels were shot back to back over eight months, yep. I think. So imagine eight months of doing 90 take shots. <laughs> that would drive anyone to like absolute monotony and just like depression. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I know, yeah, I know that. I know that was the case for The Shining, right? I think that's that classic example. Is where just wore what's her name, Shelley? Is it not Shelley? Is it uh, Shelley Winters? No, no, it's uh, Shelley Duvall. Shelley Duvall. Yeah, I know he wore her down, but that that kind of works in that context because she's supposed to be kind of wrung out and strung out like that. But did, did they really need to be like that in the Matrix? Do you know what no. I mean? Like, was that really necessary? You know? No, I I don't think so. And uh, Bill Pope, my favorite quote from Bill Pope was. Uh, after shooting the Matrix sequels, I wanted to dig Stanley Kubrick up and kill him again. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> he was completely done with that because like, it, and that was the advice they went through. I, I think that they kind of thought that they still needed uh, the Wachowskis needed to learn how to direct better, and they, so they were taking advice from a master. And Kubrick's done some great films for sure, but yeah. I think they might have taken the wrong advice at the wrong time because I think that like if you rewatch the original film, you see Neo. He's excited at times. He's scared at times like you know trinity help you know like he's he's angry mm. he's he's emotive he like when he finds out that his world isn't real he's like freaked out completely uh filled with like anxiety panic you know depression all these kind of emotions and in the sequels he's just like i'm keanu and i'm uh calm i guess or something and just like yeah one emotion he's just tired yeah. yeah he's just tired the whole film yeah the classic scene is when he's chatting the oracle and she's saying all this stuff all these incredibly profound things. And he's always just like, why, what do you mean? No. Like that's his response. Like everything she says, you know yeah. what I mean? She gives you these huge answers. Well, Zion will fall and this will happen if you can't save Trinity. And he's just like, what are you talking about? That's yeah. like his response to every question. He's just like, I'm so tired. I'm sick of punching people in the face. You know, he just doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Not, not to mention the fact that they went even over the top with the sunglasses. So generally you can't even see oh. people's eyes, even in the dark. And like, I make this yeah, argument. Yeah, the one scene in the sewer when they're all like having that <laughs> meeting and everyone's got a song that's like, it's a bit dark in here, guys. Anyone want to take their sunny song? Yeah, like there's lots of scenes in the original where if they're, you know, a lot of the scenes are outdoors in bright, uh, bright Sydney with like bright reflect, uh, sun reflecting off of the rooftops. Sunglasses make sense. They also look cool yep. for sure, but they make sense. But um, even in the lobby scene, there's bright lights coming from the, uh, the front doors. Sunglasses, you could still see everything in the lobby, but in the dark and a sewer, really? It seems like they kind of, it's like they took the wrong lessons from the Matrix. They thought like, oh, people like 
action. They like over the top. They like sunglasses. Let's give them more of that. And uh, yeah. I think uh, Joel Silver actually mentioned that in, in an article. He mentioned that because partially due to the fact that everybody ripped the Matrix off, the Wachowskis felt the need to outdo themselves. So they're like constantly pushing the, trying to push the envelope and trying to do bigger, better, crazier um, action and CG or uh, visual effects uh, set pieces. And that might've led to like some of the crazier stuff. Whereas had they not had that external influence of everybody trying to outdo the matrix, they might've done something a little bit more low key and possibly better. Who knows? But uh, yeah, Jules yeah, said something like that. Yeah. I often wonder if it was just like a product time, because I know that when that, when the second film came out, there was that, I think a Samsung phone that was in the film that they were also marketing. And I, I know, I remember the, the Neo sunglasses being like a marketed thing. Um, so I almost wonder if it was just to like push the sunglasses thing and the product placement stuff. Cause Trinity had a very distinct pair that she wore and Neo obviously had his. Um, I, I don't I also wonder if that was just a factor just to help kind of push product placement stuff a little bit as well. You know, maybe that was the angle. Yeah, it could be. I mean, it, uh, they definitely made this into a transmedia franchise and, and, um, did you want to hop over to enter the matrix to kind of explore a little bit of that if you wanted to? Sure. 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 Yeah. Um, I liked it when it came out. I, I thought it was cool that there was like more Matrix. Like at the time, more Matrix equaled good. And I would say it's probably one of the better tie-in games um, uh, because they actually had people um, make, who made the movies kind of work on the movies as well. So I thought it was, I thought it was decent in that regard. But like, um, I'd be interested to see your, your perspective on it because you did a whole review on it. I haven't played it for a few years now, but uh it was definitely janky at times, um, but it did kind of capture that Max Payne-esque, you know, bullet time, crazy action stunts, shootouts, decent shootouts. Not as, not, probably not as refined as Max Payne for sure, but um, I remember it being a, a fairly repetitive but enjoyable romp. What about, what about you? Uh, I, I think it's, yeah, I think that the concept is cool. I just think it's ultimate. The, the problem it had was that it just had to come out when the film came out. Cause it was like, had to time with that. Yeah. Um, and I think you can, it's, I think it's easy to dig around and find sort of the development history, but yeah, the, the general story about it was that, yeah, it just, it wasn't finished and it just pretty much, they didn't have a choice. They had to release it. And you can kind of see that. Like, I think the game starts off really well. You play through those first few levels and there's like a scene when you first encounter an agent in the game, which is actually really well, well done. Like the whole level is just you running away from it and it keeps popping yeah. up and taking over guys and that stuff's cool. But then, yeah, you really get near the end and there's levels that like you're at an airport, I think one level, and it's literally just like this blank, empty space with no detail. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they just yeah. didn't have time to put in planes or I think it's a nighttime setting too. So there's no skybox. It just looks like shit. Um but the, the I think the scope of it was pretty cool. And actually, I, I do think playing as like a character who's like a red pill or whatever, who can do all those abilities is pretty awesome. Like you do feel like a badass, you know, and, and they know like what type of enemies to make you face. Like you only really face like SWAT guys and cops and security guards. So you beat the shit out of these dudes. Like it's nothing. So I, th I think that the, the idea is right. But if, if they had made it for another 18 months, it probably would have been an awesome game, man. It could have been fantastic. but. Yeah, that's just it had a release date that kind of crunched them, and um, yeah, it's just literally an unfinished game as far as I'm concerned. I remember the animations in particular, like the moves you could do were super cool, but like sometimes they wouldn't connect right. It looked a little bit janky. Like I, I definitely see the the idea that it should have been in the oven for another six months plus, for just to kind of balance it out a bit more. Um, 
and make yeah. it a bit more stable. But yeah, that's the that's the eternal problem with tie-in games. Like the the best licensed games have always been completely divorced from any movie release. Like you know, Batman: Arkham Asylum. No, it was not tied to any particular Batman movie. It just came out when it was done. Uh, Mad yeah. Mad Max was sort of tied in with the release of uh, you know. Uh, fury road but it came out like half a year later or like it was obviously not timed to be out by the movie came out and it it was solid when it came out i thought it was really really well made and it, pretty stable for the time as well too so like the best movies yeah. have always been completely they, they can't rush them like and to get them out by the time movies are made so yeah it's it's tough so i, I could definitely see why they uh they got it out because it was a whole marketing thing but um yeah, then you got which the... is why I bought it. Like, I mean, I just because I was so desperate to see Reloaded, and I just wanted to play the game because the they kind of marketed it on the fact that you could see cinematics and like you know footage from the film that wasn't even out yet. And when you finished the game, there was like a trailer at the end of the game that showed all this cool stuff from Reloaded that they hadn't even showed. Like this is before YouTube, so you, yeah, there's nowhere to go online to watch this stuff. So. Yeah, you finally finished the game and it had this trailer that went for like two minutes with really cool music and it showed all this new stuff and it was like, fuck, this is awesome. Like kind of justified justified the purchase at that point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it was a great hype vehicle for sure. Yeah, and, and like you say, like it did tie into things that happened in the game, but it was cool to sort of have that moment in the center and be like, oh, that's why I did that in the game. He's the reason, blah, blah, blah. I could, you know, I did all that stuff and that was cool. But yeah, it, it's it's a shame that it had that, you know kind of um deadline that it had to adhere to because the developers who made it man like these are the guys who made like earthworm gym like i don't know if you like had that that was like one of my favorite mega drive games when i was a kid um and they they were pretty talented developers so it it really didn't fit with you know their kind of like pedigree as developers that it was that as crappy as it was because it really was crappy it wasn't it wasn't great um so it was disappointing but yeah as far as tying into the the product it's it really might be one of the best movie tying games I think ever, at least, you know, in terms of how faithful it is. I think like the Chronicles of Riddick games are pretty dope. I don't know if you ever yeah. played those. Yeah, those are really good. You know, like, I'd argue those are probably uh, better, but they're also like well after the, I think the movie or. Yeah. So they don't really tie into the movies. They're like their own separate stories, but they yeah. kind of use, obviously they use Vin Diesel, but movie based, I'd say they're more like movie based, but yeah, they're, they're definitely some of the best too. Um, but yeah, it's like you say, it's the opposite example of when you don't have that deadline of what you can just do with full creative freedom and, and whatever time you need to take to get it done. So yeah, yeah very polarizing looking at them side by side. Yeah. Uh, I was just also just, I don't think we'd ever seen that before where an entire like movie Hollywood scenes were made uh, specifically for a video game that ties into a movie mm-hmm. coming out that year. Like, we would I, we had seen movies or games before which like grabbed clips from the movie you know it's always kind of jarring but this was obviously thought up from the ground up to be a, a to kind of like as a puzzle piece that would fill fill the the full movie in while not spoiling the entire plot of reloaded it would still tie in so you felt it was a very interesting experiment and it obviously i think it was pretty successful so it obviously worked but uh yeah, the idea that you could actually watch like scenes that weren't in the movie that are exclusive to the video game with these characters that you're going to see on screen later that year, that was pretty incredible. I think that was uh, one of the big selling points. And and the game was definitely fun at times. I despise the endless factory and sewer levels, but <laughs> but oh, uh, yeah. yeah, the bank shootouts were kind of like whatever it was like bank or uh, offices and stuff like that were pretty fun. Like a post office at the start was actually pretty cool. Yeah, you could yeah. kill some security guards and stuff. 
Um, yeah, and, and they, they did. I did res- like that they respected the power levels. Like these were, like you said, red pills. They weren't Neo. So a uh, handful of cops and security guards and SWAT teams. That's a that's a pretty tough. That's a pretty rough beat. You can you can defeat them, but they're not. It's these guys aren't Neo. So I, I like that they kind of had that power level. They mi- mitigated that power level. If you yeah, were, if, if, you, if you fought an agent, he would kick your ass like that. Just beat the shit out. You could kind of subdue them, but they would always kill you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that the there was like this unstoppable threat, kind of like the uh, like Mister X in the Resident Evil games or whatever. Like it has that kind of unstoppable threat kind of feeling. I did appreciate yeah. that a lot. But there are um, there's actually a few instances in the game where you can kill the agents. Like there's a couple times they're chasing you, and you can actually kill them. Um, and I honestly think that it was an oversight that the developers didn't realize. Like there's one bit when you're in like a, I think it's one of the power station levels and an agent's coming after you and you can blow up like a generator or something. If you run, and if he runs past it, cause it's like splash damage or whatever, it kills the agent, but he doesn't change into like a security guy. Cause you know, when they die, they just change back yeah. to whoever they possessed. You kill the agent. It's just like he ragdolls and it's like an agent corpse. <laughs> so I honestly think <laughs> that one of the developers just forgot or didn't realize that that was a thing they had to kill them with. Do you know what I mean? So it's like another time he, yeah, another time you could kill him with a grenade launcher, which you weren't supposed to have at that point, I think, in the game, but you could still have a grenade held onto it, and again, you can kill one of them. So, yeah, just to further prove how kind of unpolished the game was, because you don't want to be able to kill them. You always want to be running from them. Yeah, yeah, you always want that threat. I wonder if they just really did have just a really high health value set, and people just didn't expect to players to figure out a way to actually defeat him or do that much damage yeah. to him or something. But yeah. yeah, that is interesting. That is actually kind of cool. But yeah, I remember that kind of that sort of threat level. Like you felt really powerful, but then you realized that the agents were really powerful. So you, you had to get out of there. And I, I definitely enjoyed it. I thought that the um, it was definitely Matrix side quest material. Like, you know, your big the big thing is like killing the power plant. And it's just like, OK. But at the same time, they did they did give you something to do that would tie in. You kind of felt like you were being tied into the sequel movies. So I went ahead yeah. at school, but at the same time, they did give you like the most boring path through it, <laughs> unfortunately. And they do indulge in a little bit more of the uh, kind of supernatural stuff, like the, uh, the rogue AI programs that are werewolves and vampires and stuff. That was a little weird. I don't think they really should have gone that direction. What, it, what were your thoughts on that? Um... Yeah, it's, it, I actually made a joke about it because I'm doing that Path of Neo thing. Yeah. And there's a really bad level in Path of Neo. Um, and then I make a joke where I was just like, yeah, actually, I'm starting to take those werewolf levels in, into the <laughs> Matrix for granted, I think. <laughs> it's like, in retrospect, there's so much more fun than this. But yeah, it's like you could only kill these programs by like stabbing them with a wooden stake. It's like, okay, this is, yeah. We're, again, like we're saying again, when the Chelsea's got creative control, man, anything was possible. Yeah, absolutely. Um and and uh, I I do want to point out to the viewers like this gameplay looks pretty solid, possibly even sixty FPS. I'm not I'm not one hundred percent sure on that, but pretty it ran pretty well. I think I played the GameCube version back in the day, and it ran pretty well. I remember it being smooth, um, which is another huge difference between this game and uh, Path of Neo. I remember even at the time, and I was kind of a console a console peasant at the time. I was like. Uh, man, this game, um, Path of Neo, runs really, really uh, choppy. <laughs> the frame rate is not solid at all. <laughs> did you have it on PlayStation, or what, what platform did you play it on? I think I think Xbox, actually, for Path yeah, of Neo. Yeah, that's what I was playing it on. Yeah, it runs like, I was just, I'm running on Xbox now, and it runs like shit. I was just curious if it was shit on PS2 as well. Because I was a PS2 guy back then, that was always the, the platform I got, and yeah. PS2 versions were always the worst. Yeah. Every single time. There was never an example 
of cross-platform stuff where the PS2 outperformed anything. It was always the GameCube and the Xbox. So yeah, I mean, it's good to know they're all shit either way. Yeah, the PS2 was like the best-selling, but also the weakest of the three consoles. That uh, aside from mm. the fact that the GameCube had a smaller uh, disc um, disc size in that it yeah. had less data, but yeah, I think it, I think it went PS2, GameCube, Xbox in terms of power. So the best ports were usually the Xbox. So the fact yeah. that it was ran that badly on Xbox is pretty telling. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like a level in Pathania where you got to like run up, like, um, it's basically like the clock tower from the end of Batman. You just keep running yeah. up these stairs and it's got to be like seven frames a second or <laughs> single digit frames. I was just, I can't believe this is in a, a finished game, you know? Yeah. And, and if you want to, we can do that. That was a couple of years later, right? It was 2005, I think. Yeah. Well, well after anyone really cared about matrix at that point. So yeah, good on them for still sticking to it. It's kind of amazing. 2003 saw the highest, probably the highest excitement for Matrix content and also like the end of the excitement of Matrix content for a long time. It was, I think it might have been just the disappointment overall with Revolutions, but also the over, it went from being like underexposed kind of, like we had one film to work off of to like overexposure in one year. We had, uh, you know, three movies, uh, did Animatrix come out the year before? Was it was it also 2003? Yeah, I think it came out in 2003. I, I remember getting on DVD, and I'm pretty sure it was before the movie, so yeah, it must have been around that time. Yeah, so three movies. We get we had Reloaded, Animatrix, and Revolutions all in 2003, and Enter the Matrix, and whatever else yep. they had, tie-ins, stuff like that. I'm sure there were probably commercials, probably McDonald's Happy Meal bonuses or whatever <laughs> for yeah. rated R franchise. I, I don't know if I'm making that part up, but... Yeah, we got real. The, the Matrix Online, I think, came out after the after the third film, I think. And I think the Matrix Online is canon. So I think pretty sure what happens in Matrix Online is, yeah, like what happens. Because I know, no spoilers, but yeah, certain characters die in the Matrix Online storyline. And that's canon. That's basically how they died. Yeah. Well, well yeah, I mean, big, it's, big characters. It, is, it is canon because if we're going to talk about Matrix Resurrections, a certain character that we know and love is dead in the matrix mm. resurrections and we're not even talking yep. about the main two, but yeah. So, uh, yeah, we're kind of bouncing over the place. Um, did you have anything else on the, on the sequels? Like how the way, not really that the way it ends they're, they're at all. Um, not, I mean, resurrections was, was, is definitely the worst one. I, I don't even really remember too much about it. I think it has that one cool scene at the start. I think when they're like t- taken on the Merovingian or they go down into his club, which was pretty cool. Cause again, it's like, I'm I'm a bit of a simp for any action scene that uses practical effects, and again, most of that was pretty practical. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, it's it's all just filler until the final scene with Smith versus Neo, which again I thought started off cool and then just goes to hell once they're floating in the air and punching each other like they're in zero gravity. It just kind of loses all cohesence at that point. Yeah, yeah, no, it. it I remember distinctly watching um, the scene for you know, a lot of bots today. Okay. Um, uh, distinctly watching uh, a, a club fight scene in Revolutions where they're fighting a bunch of rando AI guys and uh, there was like a, I think, what's his name? Seraph, I think, a uh, character they introduce um, in Reloaded and he's kind of a, yeah. taking taking the place of Neo because Neo's like out of the picture for a bit, as he often is. Um, and they essentially... Uh, almost recreate the lobby scene from the original film in revolutions. Yeah. But the twist is that some of the, some of the enemies can go on the ceiling. Yeah. Um, 
And it's it's so telling if you watch those two scenes back to back. If you compare the lobby scene from the original and the uh, the similar with the columns and the fighting and the bouncing off walls and stuff from Revolutions, it's like what happened in four years? Like it's the the new scene is like filled with CGI people zooming back and forth, uh, just no tension. Has sort of like a, a actually kind of quiet sort of understated uh electronic track in the background just it just feels so blase compared to the original which had like the you know uh propeller heads song thumping and like uh, every single shot sounded like a punch to the face it was just the the sound design like all the gunshots were really really loud you could you could hear all the rocks cracking and crumbling yeah it's just really really that particular scene highlighted the difference between the original and the sequels in terms of just how impactful it was well, plus the common sense, or not the common sense. I mean, just the the actions of the characters. Like in the lobby, the 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 SWAT guys are firing a bazillion shots at them, and they're not hitting. But you kind of your suspension of disbelief there is the fact. Well, they're constantly moving, like they're running, they're running up the walls and stuff. So obviously they're so agile that they can't hit them or whatever. But in that scene, it's like they're just like standing still and shooting at each other. At one point, like Morpheus is just literally standing still. He's like shooting, but no one can hit anyone. Do you know what I mean? It's like, why yeah. can't you hit that person? And there's that really dreadful shot of a guy like jumping off a ceiling onto a wall. And oh, then, like, yeah. and it, it's like so CGI. It looks like a frog. And it's like, bro, where, what was your tactical plan there where you just <laughs> jump straight out in the open? Like, what, what were you thinking? What did you think was going to happen, dude? You know, he yeah. gets gunned down immediately. It's like, it's a hell of a move, you know? Yeah. Um, it'd be bad yeah, enough. It, it's all spec. It's the spectacle versus it kind of being a spectacle, but also like making sense in what's happening yeah i know exactly the same shot you're talking about it looks so bad and it's obviously a cg model and not only does it it's a really bad tactic it completely he completely loses any tactical advantage he has but also uh he gets shot immediately like you said uh yeah right away <laughs> yeah whereas like you you could definitely like the movies are definitely have a style over substance some, at some points but you could kind of see the idea the advantages of some of the original movies shots like in the lobby scene uh uh neo does a somersault grabs a gun off the floor and then gets back up behind a column that's showy but at the same time he is grabbing a gun off of the floor while also being a moving target you know so like you can see an advantage there it is definitely showy but the whole movie is very showy so but like you say like a showy but with a purpose like trinity running up the wall and doing a cartwheel yeah she's okay she's running up the wall but she's evading bullets and then using that momentum to get behind cover too it's not just like hey watch me run up this wall you know kind of thing yeah and these guys are are like you know we seem like a swat team or whatever uh and they're extremely they're trained to fight people on the ground they last thing they expect is somebody running up the wall so they're kind of using the over-the-top stunts as a way to throw off their enemy too, because they're they're not prepared to, for those kind of tactics. So a really cool, um, yeah, really cool observation that I only kind of read recently, maybe like a year or so ago, was about. And you probably don't think too much about the line, but when she goes, Trini goes, you know, no one's ever done anything like this before, and he's like, that's why it's going to work. And it really that that is kind of explains why they get through that scene is because yeah. realistically, no one, none of the red pills have ever fucking attacked full on like the the matrix like that so yeah. the matrix is like well hang on what the fuck this person's running up the wall it's probably never programmed itself to be able to to deal with that kind of threat do you know what i mean 
So that that just kind of makes that scene even more sense in the sense of why do, why don't they hit them? Why can't they stop them? Well, the Matrix has never dealt with that threat of them using those abilities in such an offensive manner. So it's, there's just so much going on in that lobby scene. You can you can write it off as just a cool spectacle, but it's like man, it's it's deep on so many levels. Plus the fact that Trinity goes in there with basically one gun versus Neo. I, I read a YouTube comment a while back where someone said how like Neo's like spraying and praying the whole scene. <laughs> like he's basically just like a noob, just spraying with like 50 guns. It's like, yeah, that's pretty true. Trinity takes one gun. She still cleans house with one gun, whereas Neo goes through like, you know, seven different guns to like get the same, same result. Yeah, I, I love how uh, there's brief moments of, of self-awareness and kind of like nods to the camera where like, not uh, fourth wall breaking but like how you know goes in and they like they scan him and he's like he's loaded from like head to toe and like guns uh machine guns uzis uh shotguns like you know pistols grenades and like the guy's just like holy shit he's just like in disbelief like what the hell did you come here to do so it's like uh i I love that uh, that expression is just so sort of uh Completely he like an Oscar for that line, that that bloke. Yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, just, like, Holy, Holy shit! shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Uh, but... I've often wondered, like, is is he supposed to be like realistically? He's just another person plugged into the matrix, right? Yeah. His 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 existence as a security guard. So technically, he's like an innocent guy. Yeah, that's that a... just gets gunned, gunned down, right? Yeah, that's the weird thing about the morality. And now they do kind of. Cor- I I will say they do kind of correct that. Uh, or they uh, they address that in um, the one of the uh, VR construct scenes with them with Morpheus when they're walking down the street and like the uh, club, club to death is is blaring and he's like talking about the, how the Matrix is a system and people are so invested in the system that they'll die defending it and then mm. right at that point he sees the woman in the red dress Neo that is and then he turns to see her again um, and then it's 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 a replica of Agent Smith right. And mm. then that's the lesson of that whole construct is that everybody, potentially anybody and everybody is potentially your enemy at any moment's notice. So like they can't, they can't, it, basically it's kind of bleak and really, really dark. And, but they can't, they can't. Can't afford re- to let people live basically. Yeah. They can't afford to acknowledge the, these people's innocence because at any point in time, anybody plugged into the matrix can be your worst enemy so you're an agent kind of thing yeah yeah so it's it's a really messed up bit of morality and interestingly enough uh we we delved into uh, we're we're doing full spoilers here and this this game isn't even playable really today anyway but in matrix online i didn't play it but i read some and saw some scenes of it they address that morality too the kind of really fucked up thing about the matrix is that their end goal is to free humanity that would lead to millions of people dying there's no way you could you could turn the matrix off and collect everybody anywhere fast enough before they all died before a lot of them died. So like the well, whole plus I- they said yeah right that like most a lot of people's minds just reject yeah. the truth so they would just have heart, a heart attack and basically die anyway. So even if you can get to them, there's a fifty fifty chance they're either going to accept reality or they're just going to have a heart attack and die. Yeah, and the first movie it talks about that how like you know Keanu Reeves was like thirty five at the time when he did that movie. Um, like he had a really hard time letting go. Imagine somebody who had lived longer, who had had kids, who had had other investments and, and yep. big, bigger losses than he did. They would have an incredibly difficult time letting go and uh, mass mm. and not with a crowd of people there to support him either too. So like the, the end goal of freeing humanity would probably lead to mo- a mass ext- 
massive deaths. <laughs> and I think that the Matrix yeah. Online actually has a has a line about that from Morpheus saying that like as they freed basically entire crops would die of people if they freed them, which is really messed up. Like millions would yeah. probably die. Um Yeah, and they, they, they do kind of touch on that in Resurrections, which again is actually probably one of the few things it does well is how they say like, you know, um, I think Neil Patrick Harris's character says it right. Where he's like, you know, most people don't want to be disconnected at this point. Like they've fine-tuned the point now where everyone is just so into it that it's like you can't. It's not the way it used to be where they could just keep rescuing people. Like people just don't want to leave it anymore. They're so connected to the system. Yeah, yeah. One it, of the few things I think that movie, the Resurrections, actually does well. Is it Resurrections? Yes, I can't remember. Yeah, that yeah. Name. Resurrections. They really need to stop doing sequels with R in the name. Yeah. Um. But yeah, and that was already brought up in the first movie, so it's not necessarily a new idea, but I do like that concept. It's about they didn't explore it more. Did you have anything else to say about Revolutions, maybe the ending, or what you felt about how it ended, or, or the themes it brought up, or do you want to just jump right into Resurrections? Uh, I, I just go into Resurrections. I, I, I can't even really remember the end of Revolutions. Like I said, apart from the fight scene, which was just a big spectacle anyway. And yeah. Just the nonsensical rubbish about why he lets himself get taken over in the end and stuff like that. But yeah, it's, it's the last hour is just a mess, man. And the, the whole scene when he's like powers have translated over into real life or something. And uh, yeah, there's like a sliver yeah. of an interesting idea where, where he starts to have powers in real life. Like he has some sort of deeper connection to the machines, even in, in the real world. It's like, that's cool. But I remember the transition between Reloaded and Re- Revolutions being pretty weak, like the, the final stinger was Bane is unconscious from his ship being nearly destroyed and Neo is unconscious from uh, him taking out some uh, squiddies in, in the real world, which is like, what the hell? Uh, and they're both together in the same room. Dun, dun, dun. They even literally do that. Like they do a dun, dun, dun. At yeah, the yeah, end. They, they do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really kind of cheesy. Uh but yeah, the last the last movie is just all over the place. Uh, they get into how machines can love; they love their little child that they want to put him on the train. Oh, the train yeah. man, the train man can defeat the one easily. Uh, all this other stuff, and you know how there's like a it kind of becomes almost like a Star Wars wannabe at one point because they've got the the ship fights, the dog fights. They have those machines that are shooting tons and tons and tons of squiddies and. I always imagined, and this is kind of like, the, again, the kind of small thinking we see in the sequels. I always kind of imagined the Squiddies were one of many machines that that these guys had at their disposal, didn't you? Like, I didn't imagine that they were all Squiddies, right? Yeah, I mean, I assumed that they were kind of like the ground troops or like the shock troops that you just send in to, like, wipe everything out. Like, you're going to have high casualties, they're going to get destroyed, but it's like the, the sheer numbers of them will... Co- it's like the, the T-800s in, in Terminator, like... yeah. The ones in the future wars, like they're not really supposed to be super smart. It's just like you just send them in and just to mess everything up, and then whatever's left, you know, you kind of just clean up what's left from that. So they're just yeah, sheer numbers, yeah, yeah. But well, there like has you, to be a higher hierarchy, doesn't it? There has to be bigger and tougher uh, machines, certainly. Yeah, and even in in the Terminators, I, I I think Terminator One, even definitely Terminator Two, they had bigger machines. They had like tanks. They had aircraft they had all sorts of stuff yeah. so so the ground troops hunter, were, hunter killers the big yeah sort of yeah the hks stuff, yeah. yeah yeah and and even i i'll still to this day defend terminator salvation but that had other kinds of interesting terminators as well like the big dudes that could like tear through entire houses and stuff that was interesting and different um mm. 
but uh, it's not a great movie, but I I still think it's better than a lot of the sequels, Terminator sequels. Oh, but that's not even a contest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, but yeah, with in uh, you know, like you said, the T eight hundreds were just infiltrators. That's what they were good at. So yeah. um, the problem with the Matrix is that they had like no other ideas. Like, they were all squiddies. It was a drill and squiddies. That was the entirety of the Matrix threat. Just really weird, considering that these these guys dominated the entire world. So. Uh, I thought that just incessant swarms of squiddies was an interesting visual and so reading some of the behind the scenes stuff of how they did it. It's kind of cool. They actually used like 2d animation to draw the swarms and stuff. Kind of, kind of interesting. But in the end, the big bad is just a face that's made out of squiddies. I found that really kind of pathetic. I don't know about you, but I found that kind of lame at the end. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't, uh, it's kind of cool in a sense, I guess, because it's like you say, it's almost like the hive mind concept of like it's, yeah. everything's connected to one thing. So it is kind of cool that it would kind that's the form it would take. Because I mean, I guess realistically, the, the top program, whatever it is, like the, the, the sort of alpha program, whatever it's got to be called, like it doesn't really have a form. It's just right. code, I suppose, right? Um, the, the thing about it taking like it took like a kid's face or something was just, I guess, purely done for the visual sense. Um, but I mean, if anything, man, maybe that's probably a good thing that they didn't create a bunch of different stupid robots, you know, to um, to include in the thing. It would have just got more sort of washed out with just stupid shit. So maybe that was a blessing in disguise that they didn't add in another fifty different robot types. Like, oh, this is like you know, the super secret. Um, I don't know, like infiltrator machine that can imagine they had something where it could like you know change its form to look like Neo or something or some yeah. stupid plot like that. They could have done so much dumb shit with that, but at least they kept that aspect of it pretty simple i think or if they did pull the terminator or dark fate or sorry uh not that one terminator genesis and had a machine that could turn neo into a robot <laughs> yeah imagine that that would have uh, been awesome that was so well done in terminator so, uh, not so, so well done <laughs> but uh uh yeah no i i could see like but it just seemed very small thinking like okay we, there's something about squiddies it's all squiddies squiddies all the way down but uh yeah and then it kind of, I kind of always irritated me, even at the, at the time, the retcon of, I distinctly remember in the first movie, um, EMP is our only weapon against the machines, period. Mm. We also, shoot them, no. we also got machine guns too. We've got machine guns. Yeah. We've we got ships of machine guns too. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I thought that the, I thought that the sort of almost like kind of echoing the, the nuclear threat where like, if we nuke them, we nuke ourselves, they, they'll nuke us kind of thing. Like, the only yeah. way we could kill the machines is also by disabling all of our equipment and potentially dying ourselves. Like that was a really cool thing that they, they teased and they eventually did in the first film. They, they, they killed their ship to kill the squiddies that were just about to kill Neo right as he yeah. left the matrix. And that was like the last very last second and, and everything kind of came together. But uh, yeah, with machine guns, it kind of, undermines that a bit it's like oh well we could have just used machine guns <laughs> it's like damn they figured out our weakness to bullets <laughs> who would have thought that's too bad they they figured out our weakness of uh having unarmed unarmored uh people right in front of a bunch of uh on our mechs oh, like, how's that design yeah let's yeah. yeah let's have everything armored but your torso let's just leave that completely uncovered yeah yeah so there's actually a scene in, in like that Animatrix thing, which is pretty metal, where they show like the, the Future Wars, whatever it's called, like when they fought them. And they fought in ver very similar looking armored suit things. I don't know if you remember that scene. And I was also kind of wondered if that was like an influence or like a, a nod to it, because there's like a bit in that when a dude's in one of those armor suits and the chest plate gets ripped off by um, like a machine. 
And then the mm. dude just gets pulled out like he's a piece of meat, which is pretty horrific. But yeah, maybe that was like, was that supposed to be like referencing the fact that they're these disu- uh, reused kind of pieces of armor or something? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I could see that. Like maybe you could, there's some subtle world building there. Like if there was tears at, at the metal. So these are like kind of hand-me-downs that have been just kind of destroyed. But yeah, uh, they seem to be in pretty good shape. So it seems like that's the full design, at least if you're just looking at the movies themselves without any other other content mm. just a really poor design in terms of keeping your little squishy human alive but... it's like look we can make 50 of these things but we can't cover you i'm sorry we've got 50 suits to go around but someone guys you're just gonna have to stay 100 percent exposed i'm really sorry about that but that's uh that's the way the suits are gonna work yeah yeah it's a little it's a little weird like yeah, yeah just poor design and uh I, I always got the idea like the the nebuchadnezzar was kind of stitched together wasn't really a prime example of technology, but you see the stuff in Zion, you're like, why don't you have better equipment? You have a huge city with like several layers. This thing is gigantic with tons of moving parts. Why don't you have better equipment? So oh, just... people, people are too busy at the underground orgies, man. They don't have time to <laughs> research into this stuff. Eh? So many orgies going on every day. Got a rave at 4 p.m. and orgy at 6 p.m. <laughs> yeah. I'm about my day's book, man. Yeah, then Jack back into the Matrix with a hangover. Imagine that, like, they have a scene where they're like, how are you going? Oh, man, I'm still hungover from last night's rave, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted to save humanity today, but, man, last night's orgy was, was rough. Uh, yeah, I need a couple of days to recoup. <laughs> yeah, so uh, um, Spartan goes 17, two pounds, says, all right, hi, are we getting another, another Cyberpunk docu? Yes, eventually. Probably not right away, but eventually there's going to be a part four. Uh, thanks for your donation. Um, so I guess now might as well kind of, did you have any, I mean, you, you're obviously reviewing path and Neo. That's kind of came a couple of years after revolutions. Did you want to get into that or just want to go jump right into resurrections? You want to just save it for um, your review? Yeah, I reckon just get into resurrections. Okay. Let's just dig into it. Um, resurrections. Let's it's see. like ripping the bandaid off. We've just got to get into it. Yeah. So. I went into it with no expectations. Uh, I'm sure you're probably in the same uh, same boat, right? Yeah, I mean, hopeful, but not expecting anything. Yeah, yeah, me neither. And I'm going to uh, pull open the most relevant clip to this movie, which is the MTV Music uh, MTV Movie Awards parody of The Matrix, because that's what this movie is. <laughs> is that the one with Will Ferrell? Uh. Yeah, Justin Will Ferrell. Yeah, with the, yeah, that was funny as hell. I remember that. <laughs> that was a lot of funny. Uh, yeah. yeah, let me save. Okay, Resurrections. There we go. Um, yeah, so that was a lot of funny. But like, uh, God, what coming out of? Uh, I didn't actually watch it in the theaters, but finishing Resurrections, especially with the after credit scene, I was like, this is a, a literal, like an intentional parody of the of the Matrix, isn't it? Basically, right. What was after the credit scene? I don't think I remember that. It was cutting back to the office where, um, again, all spoilers, uh, the game designers that were working with... Uh, oh, that's right. Yeah. Neo, yeah and yeah. it's like, you know what? Re- you know, forget the reboot. You know what people really like? Cats. The cat tricks. And it's like, oh, that's where we're going. Okay. <laughs> that whole game dev stuff, man, like, I, I don't know what what that was supposed to be you know that whole weird sequence when there's all these yeah. like, game devs but it's like what how do you describe it it's like what people who probably aren't into game development think game devs are like 
but it's like an unrealistic portrayal of what they think that where they just kind of hang out and they're all playing like table tennis and hacky sack and hey man like let's create a game like it's that kind of weird culture of what they think game devs are like it's not really like that is it with people that just act like idiots the whole time i, I really doubt that's what it's like in real life it just seems like such a weird set it just made no sense like is this supposed to be funny like what, what's going on here and the weird sort of soundtrack in the background and uh, i don't know yeah, it really felt like uh, somebody who had never been at a game dev studio, which is weird because I believe the Wachowskis had worked with the game devs to make the two games or, or through three yeah, games, they were, actually. they were but, heavily involved in it, yeah. So it almost seems like the, like a perspective of somebody who doesn't know anything about game dev, uh, mm. mocking game dev, which is weird. Because like, this kind of goes back to uh, the ending, the kind of famous ending of uh, Path and Neo, which is something very very meta very very kind of jokey um yeah a very controversial ending of path of neo i don't know if we want to spoil it or not because we haven't really talked about it but it, it kind of follows suit from that which is like two, uh 2005 but yeah um yeah very very extremely self-referential to a point of being actually very irritating it's like um, obnoxious or yes yeah it, obnoxious is a great way of saying it because generally like okay we're, we're expected to like there there's a, a a seed of a good idea i think you'd probably agree in the idea that of hiding the matrix in plain sight right yeah i think so yeah so there's a seed of a good idea there but but how they trap neo in the matrix again is that they they trick him into believing that he wrote the matrix as a video game and that's like a good like 30 minute uh detour from the movie after the original intro which is so referential like we need a new bullet time oh you we we need to uh, warner brothers is asking us to reboot the franchise to make a new trilogy (laughs) even that wasn't that that whole like plot was so self-aggrandizing where it was like oh you created like the best game ever made and you're widely reviewed as being one you know one of the greatest game devs of all time it was just it just felt like such a commentary on like how the Wachowskis kind of viewed themselves as well. I know it maybe wasn't, but that's how I kind of interpreted it. Like, you know, you need to bring this game back, man. Like, it's the best game ever made. And it kind of felt like that's how they thought we should be reacting to this fourth film. Like, it was like, I'm watching what their fantasy of, like, our reception was going to be in the game in another, like, form, basically. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it really felt like the tone of that that kind of fourth wall break in the end of Path of Neo stretched into an entire film. Where it's mm. like, uh, oh, well, we could talk about the complex, uh, you know, interesting philosophies and this other thing. And, yeah, yeah, all of a sudden, blah, 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 blah. But that's way too complicated. So we're going to make something stupid for you people. Like, one of the most insulting things I think about this movie is that they constantly cut back to the original movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, they'll show a shot, and the shot's obviously a reference to the original films, but they don't leave it at that. They then cut to the original films in case you, you stupid viewer, forgot that the original films did this too. Like yeah. I, I find it extremely uh, condescending, actually. That it, it's like, yeah, we, we've seen the movies when a, d- a dude shouts out, "Mr. Anderson," we don't need a, a split shot of Agent Smith. We got it, man. We know what you're talking about. You know, don't worry, we get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what's happening? Yeah, yeah I, I think we remember Mr. Anderson and and Mr. Smith. Like that, <laughs> that's a pretty big part of the story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's and, the bit with the the fake movie? He does. He says like at last or something like that, and then he just spent does this weird little comedic quip thing about. Oh, he goes. Oh, should I have gone with that version or should I go with this version? It reminds me of like the Fight Club thing when he's like, "Do I give you the ass or the crotch?" Like when he's on the plane. Yeah, it's it's like 
what what really odd writing, you know? Yeah, and I don't have anything against the the new actors. Um, the guy who plays Morpheus. Uh, I haven't seen. I think I've seen him in like a couple other things. I think he was in the Watchmen show and a couple other things. I don't have anything personal about him, but he is not Morpheus. He is not Morpheus mm-hmm. in this film. He is very goofy. Uh, just the whole opening, like they try to set up a couple. I'm trying to really dig deep into this film and see what kind of themes they're trying, they're attempting to do in this film. And one of the things is they're kind of almost like damage controlling some of the criticisms of the original film. Like one of the recurring lines in this resurrections was you call this a choice, like within five to 10 minutes of uh, bugs. The main character basically is, is, um, hands the, uh, this agent, apparently an active agent a red pill and the agent happens to say that he's morpheus and immediately he's like oh morpheus hug it's like oh this guy was trying to shoot you three seconds earlier and you you now trust him because he says the word more uh, the name morpheus like that seems like a pretty big stretch uh and, yeah. and like she hands him a pill it's like you should take this and it's like you call us a choice and it's like okay if you're criticizing the original film which actually which by the way, actually had a choice. Neo could have taken the blue pill and lived his life out in bliss. Mm. But they're trying to like address that criticism by giving no choice whatsoever. And it just seems like a very kind of childish way of addressing a potential flaw of the original movies, you know? You know, like that's kind of a big deal when Neo chooses to go the go down the rabbit hole rather than just stay in, in blissful ignorance. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I kind of looked at it in the sense of like but Neo had always, like you said, for him it had been like the splinter in his mind, right? That kind of thing that had just been haunting him his whole life. Like he knew something was wrong. Yeah. Um, whereas I kind of looked at, the, again, it's, it's, it is one of the few things I think it does well and wrong in Resurrections is how it's like it is a more advanced version of the Matrix. So it's like they've got it to the point now where they've kind of tweaked it to the point where, yeah, like no one really wants to leave anymore. Wasn't there a line where they talked about how they don't really have many red pills anymore? Do you know what I mean? Like people just don't want to leave as much. So um, I don't know, like I kind of thought it was a cool way to have a, a different approach to it in the sense of, um, I don't know, like maybe the, maybe the way that people react to potentially getting out of it now is a little bit different. Um, and I actually think the, con- the, the concept of like programs um, having empathy for humans, again, like it's one of the, the, the few things I liked about it. It just never developed it any further, man. Like there's that one scene where they have like the, um, what do you call it, like the nanobite person or whatever it is, who's kind of like helping out in like that weird like greenhouse or something. Like I thought yeah. that stuff was cool, but it just never ex- it just never explored it any further than that, you know? Yeah, yeah. The in the future, sixty years in the future, uh, the humans in the real world have learned to work with the more benevolent machines, which is interesting. Yeah. Because the they're AIs. self-learning AI. They would have to, like, the AI would have to learn empathy. If they're at the point now where they're self-aware and they obviously have disdain for humans, like, if Smith, even if as far back as Smith, if his AI was able to to sort of hate someone, then there must be the other side of the equation where they can have affection for humans and, and sympathy and empathy. So I thought I thought that was the, the one of the coolest things, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I was down for that. I just didn't like how they got there and how they did nothing with it. Like, in the end, they... They, it's almost, it's almost like a fourth wall breaking self-aware admission that they had no good, big, new, new, big idea. Like they even say it in the dialogue where it's like, you know what people loved about matrix bullet time, bullet time, bullet time. 
we need a new bullet time. And it's like, okay, cool. You're now really treading on dangerous ground by breaking this much fourth wall and and being this self-aware. I hope you have a really good idea in your back pocket. Nope. So basically, they've admitted that they have new big, no new big idea. Uh, and that makes up for the fact that they don't have a big idea somehow. Like, if they're aware that they have no new ideas. But That's like, about how she, like, convinces Neo to finally come along with him just because she's got a white rabbit tattoo. Remember that scene? She's like, if this yeah. doesn't convince you, how about this? And she, like, lifts the thing up. <laughs> I and know. Sure, okay, like straight away, because she sees that, you know? Yeah. Well, that's the final piece of the puzzle. All right, you got me. I've heard a lot of criticisms about the uh, people going back and said, oh, The Matrix is never good. First film is super on the nose and stuff like that. And I can see some of the arguments, but things, this movie makes the first movie seem like super subtle. Like, there's obviously, uh, you know, uh, allegories and, and, like at the beginning when the guy gets a disc from Neo and buys it from him, it's like, you're my savior, man. You're my personal Jesus Christ. It's like, yeah, that's on the nose. But, I, but I could see somebody saying that like, Oh, you're my savior, man. I've actually heard people say that, you know? So like, it's not too bad. Oh God. Okay. We shouldn't have this. <laughs> the nude scenes on this video. Uh, um, but yeah, I know the, uh, <sighs> But yeah, that's the thing. But it's like it, it it uses it to get you there at the start. But it it never felt like it was going back there constantly. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I mean, the Alice in Wonderland references are pretty cool, but uh, like they're not super subtle. But once you get to the point where it serves the story, like it's not like it ever really comes back in like an obnoxious way, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's not uh, really, really obnoxious or or it, it, if you know the reference, you get the reference. But it's not like it's not a groan-inducing thing. You know, mm. it, it it doesn't make you groan like some of the lines in and this new film does. Like, yeah, for example, the we need a new bullet time, all these kind of things. But I, I just it just it tries to it, like the first scene is just so hectic. I didn't even know what I was trying to feel. Like, okay, there she's basically. You know what I thought about the very first scene with uh, Bugs, the blue haired girl, and um, and then well, basically good. recreating and the before that even just oh, like recreating Trinity's the scene. yeah 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 I. It, I imagined it. It's, it was like watching a let's play of a movie. <laughs> well, this she, is the bit where she does this. Yeah. yeah she was like commenting on, a, on like a let's play of a like gameplay or whatever. And it's just like, wow, this is, you think you're so clever and so, so interesting and so meta, but I, I just really mm-hmm. can't, I really can't get into this. And they, they get right to uh, trusting this agent that was trying to shoot them a couple of minutes ago and, because off screen he had had a revelation and again, yeah. some interesting things like that scene where he's looking into the mirror and he sees the code very subtly. I'm like, that's a cool effect. Good job, CG guy. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, no good ideas to, to back it up. And, and yeah, if they'd focused on the sort of hybridization or the collaboration between humans and machines in the real world, that'd be interesting. But they'd completely drop that after like the halfway mark, it seems. Yeah, that, they had a cool scene where he said something like, how can we trust these machines? And she goes, well, this was the one that basically saved you from your pod and it's, it's code's been exiled or something now. So if it ever goes back, it'll just be destroyed on site. And I was like, well, that's a cool concept, you know? They somehow had like an infiltrator that was helping them get people out and now that thing's played its final card so that thing can't, they can't use it anymore. And it was like a pet almost, like they were like patting it and stuff like this. So yeah. I was like, yeah, I mean, if you're going to go anywhere, that's a cool, that's a cool way to, ex- you know, extend what you've already explored. I thought, I thought the scene too, when 
the Morpheus dude is like kind of breaking himself down and sneaking into the thing was like one of the best scenes in the movie because it actually had like kind of tension too when they were trying to sneak in like it wasn't just relying on some stupid old shit like this was new stuff seeing you know this kind of new creature sort of make his way around wasn't just treading the same ground I I hate to say it but it it, this Matrix Matrix film is the best parts are probably outside of the Matrix which normally is the Mm. opposite you know but I kind of agree yeah. with you, like the, the world building, like I'd like to, I would have liked to learn what kind of happened with the world and stuff beyond revolutions and what, what, uh, Neo's sacrifice meant to everybody and everything like that. And we, but it was weirdly like small scale. I'm almost wondering if it was, uh, I'm say that. Yeah. Like it, it's the Zion or the, the new Zion or whatever is like a bazillion times bigger, but you literally see like four people walking around the whole city in that yeah. whole time. Right. I'm almost wondering if like, like where's everyone? Like, did like COVID uh, make it so they couldn't have big crowds or something? Like, I I don't want to give excuses to this movie, but at the same time, it's it seemed like there was some restriction because the sets were very small. There we saw four of them, um, mm. and yeah, oh, but they had like a hundred people at the end, like all the people running through the streets and the dudes in the cafe. Like that, I don't think I think that was just a room full of actors, so I don't think COVID was to blame for that. Yeah, I I get the idea that this was shot a while ago, so. I, I don't. How's that? Christina Ricci is in one scene for all of ten seconds. Isn't that got weird? Christina Ricci, and she shows up for like literally ten seconds, and she never comes back. Like what? Yeah, there were so many. There, this was so many starts but not finishes. Like n- almost nothing gets paid off in this film. Uh, mm-hmm. Not even the the recurring line that you call that a choice kind of thing. It just kind of, I guess maybe at the end is like there was never there was never a choice or whatever. I don't know. It, very frustrating because nothing nothing quite gets paid off it's just a bunch of like miniature ideas and setups and uh, i mean one of the wachowskis just left the project and didn't want anything to do with it they didn't they didn't weren't interested in it which kind of says kind of says a lot (laughs) the rumors too that um lawrence fishburne i was reading that they both read the scripts and they both just didn't like the script so that's why they didn't return i think they dodged a bullet on that one yeah i mean canonically i guess i think that morpheus because he's dead in this, they they only get him back through an AI replica of him. I think he dies in the Matrix Online. I think that's the canon. Oh, he, he does, yeah, yeah, yeah. He gets Which, killed by this weird-looking, like, Agent 3.0 or something. Like, yeah. some weird creep kills him, yeah. Which is, you know, spoiler, unless you watch the latest movie and you find out, oh, wow, Morpheus died in a video game? Okay. <laughs> yeah, but the actual... You, I, I looked up the cinematic on YouTube, and it, it's exactly what you would expect for a cinematic using an in-engine, like oh, an, an MMO in-game engine. It's so funny, man. It's. I, I guess if you're into the series at the time, maybe the weight of it would be good, but yeah, it's it's not great. Yeah, I don't... I think Morpheus has earned something than an in-game, in-game cutscene death. I think that's <laughs> yeah, in Matrix surprising. Online. Yeah. It probably had about 13 people playing it at the time that were actually subscribed to it, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, I've watched some clips of Matrix Online, and the, I guess when they finally took it down, they um they made an in lore uh in lore event that that basically took the Matrix offline. Oh, there you go. So you got it. it actually was kind of cool looking. Everybody kind of disappeared into code, so it was kind of a cool idea that they actually put the effort into to end the uh the game gracefully. But I I never got mm. to play it. Um. It just really had that sort of 2000s MMO look and feel to me, which I wasn't super interested yeah. in. But yeah, but uh, yeah, no, I, I don't want to say about this movie, but yeah, meta, self-referential, self-referential uh, uh, tongue-in-cheek. Uh, and yeah, the I didn't expect them to 
I, I, I saw the trailer for Resurrections and they, how they cut back and forth between Matrix 1 and, and the new movie. It's like, oh, that's kind of interesting. They kind of did that with the Star Wars trailer to kind of get people hyped about the new movie by referencing the old movie. I had no idea that they were actually going to do that in the actual film. That was insane to me. Just... Yeah, well, you, you kind of saw it and you're like, okay, well, that's maybe that's just to generate hype and that's kind of to just kind of, I don't know get you enticed to see the film. But the fact that it played such a huge part overall was definitely, uh, it's, it's blindsided, man, the way that this, the, how much they rely on the old stuff. Yeah, like there's one scene where the new Morpheus is literally projecting the original Morpheus scene onto uh, a wall. <laughs> and then, yeah. and, and they get it. <sighs> Why? But that's from the game, man. That's from the game. It's from the Don't game, forget, man. Okay? Yeah. yeah, it's not from the movie. It's from the game. In, in, the best game ever made, you know, from one of the greatest game developers of all time. Yeah, so. it's, <laughs> it, it's, it's so weird. I, I, I had no expectations, but my expectations were still too high on that movie. <laughs> it's just such a I weird... Hate, I hate the thing where it's like, oh, now we can just jack in anywhere and we can just go here and there. There's no threat. It's like, just remove one of the greatest limitations those guys had in that first film. Remember, it's like, hey, they oh, cut yeah. the hard line. Okay, well, we're fucked. Now we have to drive on a freeway that's like a giant fucking death corridor. It's yeah, like, it... no, nah, we can just, like, transport to Tokyo now, man. Just walk through this door and we're in an entirely different city. Like, just downplay the whole threat level of their whole existence, you know? Yeah, you would think that the creator of The Matrix, their most defining work, would remember one of the most important rules is that actually was the entire point of the tension of the first film is that if you unplug without, you know, without a proper uh, exit terminal, you would die. Yeah, Yeah, hardline, you would die. And and, but yet we see that multiple times where they they jack uh, Trinity out and, and put bugs in and put jack bugs out and put trinity in for some reason i have no idea why they did that yeah, I, did, I didn't understand yeah i didn't get that bit either yeah but like that was that was their solution and like that was all because it's a little bit of lore and you don't, you don't it's like backed up by two lines in the original movie but basically when you exit the matrix you are no longer connected to the matrix in any way shape or form they have mm. to bring their hover ships out and uh, essentially get close enough to the, the matrix uh, mainframe to then in uh, to basically project a wireless pirate signal. That's what they call it. A pirate signal yeah. back into the matrix. So they're actually, they're basically using matrix Wi-Fi. That's how they get back into the matrix. But, yeah. when, but when they're in, they have to find a, an exit within the matrix to get out. And they completely remove that sort of, that sort of uh, limitation to, very troubling results in this new film. At a bit at the end when like the people are trapped in the car and they're getting attacked and it's like, Oh my God, someone's going to die. And they're like, quick, get us in there. And then they just like in straight away and save them like instantly. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. There's, yeah. There goes that tension. It was also kind of a weird, uh, visual, uh, idea. I, I don't know if I hated it, but it was odd that they now show that the operators in, in the matrix, right. They kind of have like a projection of themselves. Only the, only the, Red pills can see. That was kind of a weird change, right? Yeah, they've got odd. they've got like Oculus Rift headsets now, where the guys <laughs> can go in and play with them. Yeah, yeah. I kind of always like the the sort of banter and the chatter between the operator in the real world and the the red pills in the Matrix, because that was kind of an interesting little you know back and forth between reality and and uh, the Matrix. I thought that was kind of cool. But when they put them in the Matrix, I don't know. It, it, like they, they're there's also something that I wanted to bring up about the color of the movie. Um, people talk about how the matrix is green or whatever. 
I think that the the color of the Matrix versus the real world, green and blue, that was actually pretty cool in that you had a dis- distinct uh, line between reality and, and uh, you know, the fake world, basically. But they yeah. completely kill any sort of color scheme in Resurrections. Now, I didn't like that because that kind of takes away a lot of the style and look of the movies. It didn't feel like a Matrix movie at all, from the visual mm. standpoint, at least. But they could have done something clever where people no longer can tell the difference between reality and the Matrix, i.e. you could have multiple levels of the Matrix and you wouldn't have to do the color coding thing anymore. But they don't do that. Yeah. It's still very clear when you're in and when you're out. Yeah, look, it, it, like, again, like, and it kind of, it touches into the whole thing where it, it just kind of feels like it was a movie made by someone who doesn't get the matrix and, yeah. and the, the saddest part about that is that it was made by the wachowskis or a wachowski and it's like it it just shouldn't have it felt like a fan film i think i said that to my partner one point when we were watching it and i just turned around and i said like this is this is like a fan film like you know the bit when they're in the bathroom like i said and he's and he's chatting to um morpheus is chatting to neo and they're like i gotta hack the mirror and he does the mirror thing where the mirror goes wobbly like it's like this is what like a fan comes up with when they write their own fan fiction like you know morpheus uh second version of morpheus finally meets neo and then oh look agent smith comes in mr anderson like it's what someone would come up with if they're writing their own stupid fan fiction but this was like the fourth matrix film you know i kind of like joke that it's the it's the uh wattpad original (laughs) sequel to the matrix wattpad it's like the fan fiction website where you can go in and like right yeah right yeah 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 Yeah. it's like (laughs) wattpad original uh sequel to the matrix and yeah, it definitely feels like that. Like it, it's got a lot of fan reverence, but also sort of disdain for the series. And I'm like, okay, if you're gonna, if you're going to tap into the hype and the excitement and the nostalgia of the Matrix, why do you hate it so much? <laughs> why, why are you trying to break it down so much? Like it's it's very very odd decision to me. Like I could see, I could see a similar setup to this working somehow, but it really has to have a uh, if you're going to bring up the fact that there's no new ideas, you've got to have to have a, a new idea in your back pocket. You can't just acknowledge you have new, uh, no new ideas and then just move on and say, oh, well, I, know, I acknowledge it. It's good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the concept of, um, I think they explained it where they, they realized that for some reason they needed Neo and Trinity in the Matrix for some reason to like, it, it like increased productivity or something over the way people reacted to that, whatever it was. I think that was kind of a cool idea. So it's like, well, they realized that once those two were gone, um, you know, yeah, that they just weren't working on the same level. So that was kind of cool. Like maybe they just should have maybe built it off that. Like, yeah, they had their memories wiped. These two are together and they have to figure out a way to get them their memories back. But the whole meta thing was just what really killed it because it really was. People joke about it and you hear that like Member Berries thing said a lot, but this really was like the Member Berries film, man. It was just so obnoxious. And that's coming from, like I said, like a dude who saw that original film like three times in a weekend and was obsessed with it as a teenager. And it's like, I hated this movie. I thought it was, just, it just felt like disrespectful in a sense. Yeah. And, and even at, for its flaws, I think that the Spider-Man uh, movie that just came out recently was polar opposite in that it had the remember very stuff, yeah. but it, but it actually respected the source material. I'd actually argue that the new Spider-Man film made the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man films better just by like paying off yeah yeah absolutely yeah i agree with you yeah and it kind of gave those characters like their vindication in a sense like you know spoilers obviously but toby got to see 
Doc Ock, you know, getting his humanity back and that part of him back. Garfield got to get that kind of um, redemption from Saban. He's that version of MJ from Fallen to a Death kind of. Yeah. Like, it it brought them back and it expanded upon what it had. It wasn't just like, hey, remember that time you danced like a weirdo in a black suit? Like, it just didn't... I'm surprised they didn't kind of do that, to be honest, and have Toby Maguire doing the dance. But maybe they kind of knew that that was the limit. Like, if they go that far, that's probably too too far into the member berries. Yeah, I mean, they definitely, uh, not to get on the Spider-Man review, but uh, they definitely had some memes from from there. Like, they did, like, oh, my back's really hurting me. Cause, like, the, I love the, that. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, okay, you're getting into the memes now. Or, like, you know, hey, no, no, Spider-Man, you are amazing. You are yeah, amazing. You're amazing. And it's like, okay, yeah, you're, you're really walking the line there. But the, the payoff. I like the rhinoceros suit line. That was my favorite. And he's like, I put a guy in a rhinoceros machine. <laughs> that was the yeah, best. Uh, the, probably the best referential thing was that I remember liking was, uh, uh, how'd you get your superpowers? Like, I fell into a, a vat of electric eels. Like, how'd you get your powers? Like, I, I fell into a, a, a super collider. Man, got to be careful what you fall into. Yeah. Like, <laughs> got to watch where you fall. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they, it's like acknowledging something silly, but but also acknowledging that, that actually happened. It's like, man, that's, that's yeah. dangerous. It's like, it's like you make you you're self referential to a point where it's funny, but it doesn't ruin the universe necessarily. Yeah, that they're just acknowledging yeah. that this kind of thing is a little silly. But mm. I, 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 there's that there's. Again, that filter that wasn't there with resurrections that it really needed to be there. There needed to be somebody say like, uh, Wachowski, I think that's a little too far. <laughs> that's, it's exactly what it didn't have. I think it was just to the point where they're like, hey, look, reboots and sequels are what makes money. Everyone's just going to watch this no matter what. Just do anything you want. And and like the script would have probably been in development for years. I reckon they would have been working on it for ages. So, um, yeah, I, I just think it was a, a, a blank check to make a Matrix movie. And this is exactly what happened. Yeah, and some I I had to actually pause, turn on subtitles, and rewind because when they did bring the Merovingian back, I I oh, I heard I heard something like he's crazy hobo now, I guess, but um I heard something and I'm like, did I hear? Did I hear what I thought I heard? And I rewinded it and put subtitles on. He says something along the lines of, "I'll be back for the sequel," uh, or "I'll be back for the spinoff franchise." Yeah, that was so. That was ridiculously on the nose. That character, that dude, was not taking that that scene seriously. I don't know if that was supposed to be comedic, but he was just chewing the goddamn scenery hard. Yeah, and, and I think he took the paycheck and he just acted like you know, it's like um, what is it? Jeremy Irons in that Dungeons and Dragons movie? You ever seen yeah, that? Like, yeah, it's it's that level of performance. Like, yeah, this is the worst script I've ever read. Whatever, where's my paycheck? And he turned up. He, he gave it his own, but yeah, he just went two hundred percent over the top. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it reminds me, I think it was Jaws 3D. Uh, is that the one with Michael Caine? I don't remember, but it, one of the Jaws sequels, they, they kind of fallen off the, fallen off the edge of the cliff at that point. But uh, Michael Caine, who respected actor, was in that, and um, and uh, they asked him like, "What was your experience uh, making Jaws 3D?" I, I think it's 3D. Maybe it was four, but he said, uh, "I don't remember that movie, but I did remember the house it, it bought." <laughs> and it's like. Uh, yeah, that, that's a great that's a great answer, actually. <laughs> yeah, that sums it up pretty well. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly what that scene was. It's like, yep, give me the money. Uh, how long did you need me a day? Yeah, cool. All right, what do you need me to say? Yeah, he's dressed like a ho- not even like a hobo. It's like I don't know if you have you ever seen the Mighty Boosh by any chance? Mighty Boosh. No, I've heard about it. It's pretty good. Yeah, you look this scene up then after this, and you'll see I'm talking about. There's a really random scene where 
one of the characters enters a mirror dimension and there's a character who's there who's called the, like the the lord of the mirror dimension it's like a dude covered in like uh kitchen sponges that's the outfit that the merovingian's wearing i i just like, look, i just it's looked not it even up. a hobo's outfit yeah yeah, it's it's like it's like living trash. Yeah, that's basically yeah. how he looked. <laughs> Why does he need to dress like that? Like, he, surely he's. He, I mean, yeah, your case, everything happened and you lost all your power. But do you really need to dress like that, or you look like you're wearing garbage trash all over your all over your body? I don't know. Very odd. And I don't know if it's supposed to be funny because the fight scene was supposed to be very serious. Because you know, Smith turns up and the stakes are high, but then you have this really weird dialogue with that character in the background the whole time. Yeah, uh, this movie is so so weirdly meta and uh uh so much it's built so much like a parody that not only do i have the the mtv uh movie awards parody on screen right now but i also went back and watched the uh matrix parody cold open for the office they did a while back and i'm not even joking uh did you ever watch did you ever watch it yeah i've seen the office yeah um yeah i don't know if it was ever public it was ever uh a broadcast but it was like a, an unbroadcasted thing you can find it on youtube but um <laughs> essentially I, I didn't ever really watch the office but i've seen bits and pieces here and there but uh, i think it's dwight i want to want to say uh yeah, quite it, yeah. He, he's he's being uh can the others are trying to convince him into thinking he's in the matrix by like oh okay yeah because he's very gullible he falls for a lot of stuff in that show yeah, yeah so like they get like a black cat to run across uh, past his office twice and like you know twin <laughs> oh, deja vu How yeah, yeah. That with the little deja vu? oh god yeah yeah like uh, like two two twins walk by his office and he's like starting to get like phone calls and and he gets a <laughs> cell phone in in the mail and stuff and at the end he's like brought into uh uh a warehouse and and the guy dressed like uh, Morpheus tells him like that he's in the Matrix so and so, and then but at the end he's <laughs> like, you know what? I actually like my coworkers. I actually like my job. I want to. I want to take the blue pill. I'm actually happy. And then and then people had like a moving moment. They're like, oh, that's actually kind of sweet. And I'm yeah. like, weirdly enough, a stupid parody in a sitcom treats the Matrix with more reverence than the sequel does. Like, mm. not even joking, not even exaggerating. I think it actually does. It's just yep. weird. Weird when you think about it that mm. I, I almost get the idea and this is kind of just you know uh you know backseat uh uh psychology i guess or whatever but i almost i might think that maybe the wachowskis might kind of hate this what the matrixes have done because just because they can never achieve that success again so they might resent it a little bit i'm i kind of got that vibe from this movie so yeah I, and i mean every film they've done since has always kind of been compared to it in a sense like yeah. I, I i actually really liked sense eight they made that series which was pretty interesting um like i don't know if you've watched it it kind of it, it's got some pretty decent action in it too and the concept of it's pretty good but um again it's one of those shows where like i mean there's there's literally talking about orgies again there's like a scene in that where there's like 12 characters at once having an orgy because they're all like connected psychically even though they're in different countries and all this different yeah. stuff i won't spoil it but um yeah like you can see when their creative juices like seep back in. This is kind of what they come up with. It's it's one of those things where maybe like you say, like again, they've just never had that producer over their shoulder, kind of telling them what they can and can't do. Because um, it just seems when they had that is what they created the Matrix, and that was like that perfect kind of composition. But everything since, um, yeah, they're just kind of chasing their tails, trying to reach that same level. Yeah, I mean, I, I've I've said this before that they've not written anything original. Uh, that's i've considered good since 2003 like there's good yeah. a, good aspects of uh reloaded and and revolutions but since then 
they've done some adaptations since then that were that were pretty good like i uh i liked uh v for vendetta i liked cloud atlas i wasn't too keen on sensate i watched about five episodes of that but there were some good ideas in there um yeah, Sense8 yeah. takes a while to get going. I would actually recommend it. It gets pretty cool once. I think like it has three seasons, and the first season's a bit bit rubbish, but the second season is once it's kind of got its momentum, it's pre- it's pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I like the ideas of it. I, I just thought it was, like you said, very overindulgent in certain points. Like I, I, It felt like sometimes a series made by, well, multiple people. It's like sometimes I would switch to another scene. I'm like, whoa, what is this? <laughs> this is not the same show. I think it's the, yeah, I think it, I think it's the most expensive Netflix series of all time too. It cost like, it had like a film budget. Um, and I think that's why they canceled it is because it just wasn't, they, they just wasn't justifying, you know, the end result. But um, yeah, you can kind of see like the, 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 the rare time when they tried something a bit different and yeah, it was pretty cool. There was moments in there where you're like, yeah, this is pretty awesome. You know? Yeah. And then on the other hand, uh, uh, Jupiter Ascending was, pretty much universally despised it was not not a well-received movie uh again had some kind of cool ideas that the idea that the solar system is sort of like a, a bureaucratic um kingdom and there's somebody on earth who doesn't even know that she basically inherited the world things like that cool yeah. ideas but then you have crazy 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 stuff that again no filter there should have been a, there should have been somebody who said hey no don't do that Actually reminds me yeah. a lot of like uh yeah George Lucas's latest latest uh, later career in that he had some great ideas but he needed a filter even the first movie um got a major re edit uh later on and and fixed a lot of its problems and became a mo- the film we all know and love but uh, later on he was the the big head honcho and he could make all the final decisions he yeah. they were they were building sets and and filming and basically well into production before he gave him their his first draft of the script that's how crazy the production for the the prequels were yeah yeah there's behind the scenes stuff where he's like oh my god like i haven't finished the script and you yeah. finished this <laughs> it's like that that's not the way it should be george no no you should have, you should have a, a re- revised script before you do any of that stuff george <laughs> yeah but one of my favorite memes is that 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 like it's like poetry it rhymes you know that meme that came <laughs> yeah. out of that whole thing that's like my favorite whenever people use that it's like poetry it rhymes it's yeah. like oh no, no it's not <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the poetry it rhymes like or uh um how uh what's the character that everybody hated the the rabbit rabbit guy uh oh, Jar Binks. Jar Binks. Yeah, it's yeah. like uh Jar Jar Binks is the key to all of this. He's a funnier character than we've ever had before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or or the 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 first time they they watch the first uh cut of Phantom Menace, everybody's like on the border of tears and and yeah, they're uh, just so, like they're shell shocked, like staring yeah. at the screen. Yeah. And George was like, I may have gone too far in a couple places. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like uh it's it's great meme material, but I'm yeah. so glad they have it on camera. But uh Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a kind of a problem that that I think that creators need to be challenged. They need to have somebody to bounce ideas off and sometimes those ideas need to be uh need to be killed. I mean you 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 see seeds of good ideas in all their works, but at the same time, without that filter to to kind of strain out the bad ones, unfiltered Wachowski is a nightmare. <laughs> at least yeah. what I've seen. So no, that you're not wrong. Yeah, and it's this is like the 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 magnum opus of what happens when they have full creative control. With yeah, and and again, like like maybe it just is like the the, the victim of the COVID thing because obviously they would have been shooting straight through like the prime time and that was all happening. But um, there's just too many creative decisions in there that would be bad no matter what kind of climate you were shooting in, you know? 
Um, and it's just a shame, you know. It, it, it's it, the, the, it was just the small things for me too. Like you know, there's that one scene where they like keep um was it they keep Neo hostage or not hostage, but they kind of like lock him up in this like I guess it's a prison cell, but it's a prison cell that has a veranda that just opens to like yeah. nowhere. It's like dude, like it's just it's it. it even in Reloaded and Revolutions, I don't think they ever just had dumb basic logic things like that. Do you know what I mean? No. It, yeah, it's like everybody's an idiot. And uh, it's just, just also just a very unsatisfying movie. Like the, the cardinal sin of, uh, of uh, action movies to be unsatisfying. Like there isn't yeah. really any good action that I to speak of. The, the camera no. work is very messy. Hmm. I mean, the biggest action scene in the film was really the bit that we were just talking about, where um, the Merovingian turns up, and I couldn't, I couldn't remember anything from the whole fight. Like there was not, no memorable hits or anything. And like on paper, you'd read it and go, "Oh, there's like a fight here with like you know a dozen people at once," and that should technically be an exciting fight scene. But the fight scene of Neo versus Smith in the first film, one person versus you know one v one, is infinitely more interesting because you can follow everything that's happening. And you can see the time they've spent in learning the moves and the choreography and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it's just it's a it's a mess. It's just like visual diarrhea, that whole fight scene. There's people getting kicked through walls and all this stuff happening, and then the Merovingian in his little trash outfit says something stupid. It's yeah, it's it's a disaster. Yeah, it only it only gets kind of visibly clear what's happening when he falls through and then starts fighting uh Smith one on one. And it's like, okay, I can at least see what's going on now but it doesn't necessarily mean it's good. It's basically a poor imitation of the, of the subway fight in, in one. So it's just like, if you have nothing new to bring to the table and you can't even uh, mimic the original film all that well, which by the way, still looks great. It still, you know, couple CG effects aside, still perfectly holds up. Why, why bother going to this new one when you can get a better version that, you know, people can get on, you know, DVD or Blu-ray for five bucks. But, yeah. uh, do you think he's little little it was funny, you know, when he does like the Trinity War run, when he's fighting the Smith guy. I don't know if you remember it. Like, if you've got it, like, a, if you've got a clip of it, but he doesn't like when Trinity runs up the wall. She runs up the wall. When Neo does this like three sixty spin, he stays in place, but he like rotates around the wall to do like a roundhouse kick or something. It just it looks so bad. I don't know if you remember that one shot, but if you've still got a copy of the movie, just check that one shot out. And you'll see what I mean. Yeah, it's I'll just like it. he literally like floating in spot does a three sixty, and he's like kind of like barely touching the wall to, to get momentum, and then he does this kick. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Uh, yeah, I, I have the scene up right now. Um, it's the fight with him and, and Smith, you said? Yeah, when they're like, they break through into the basement, and then he, yeah. yeah. It, was like a, it, was in the, it was in the trailer, too. I remember, that's the first time I saw it, and I was like, ooh, that, that didn't look very good. And it was like, that's a good move or whatever uh, he blocks? Yeah, it's copying the, the Trinity move that she does when she runs that up the wall. earlier. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I... Yeah, that whole scene, that's just a, basically a copy and paste from the first Morpheus and Agent Smith fight. Yeah, in um, the bathroom, yeah. Yeah, and com- combined a little bit with the subway fight. I just... Yeah. Uh, well, I think, um, yeah, he rips off a sink, I think, at one yeah. point and goes to bash him over the head. Yeah, okay, so I've got that scene up, and he's, like, crawling, and he's about to hit him with a sink, and he's taunting him for some reason. And then well, one of the weird things I didn't bring up is that Smith just kind of leaves at one point. I, I think know. he punches him through the wall and then he just doesn't bother coming out of the wall, right? Like he just vanishes at that point. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. All right. See you later. Yeah. I have to go vanishes. home now. My planet needs me. Yeah. I think, yeah, that's, that's, he does like this, his force power thing or to get rid of Smith somehow, but yeah, there, he's force push. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, I just was amazed that just Smith just decides to walk away from that, even though they don't actually leave the building. And then, because um, there was always that really kind of suspension of disbelief in the original films, in that once you kill the agent's host, they have to find another one. So yeah. you, ha- you bought a little time. But we don't have that with this one. As far as we know, Smith is only one body. So it's got to... Yeah. doesn't really have that excuse in this one. So it's pretty odd. But... Uh, yeah, no, there's a lot of, yeah, I can't find the scene, but, um, yeah, I've just overall didn't have a great time with the movie. Very frustrating. Very, uh, after all this time too, like, even if it was a really shallow feel good return to the matrix, like, oh, Neo's, Neo's, uh, living the, the blue pill life. And, and then, you know, Trinity comes back and says, Neo, you've got to, you've got to, you've, you're bigger than this. You're the one. And it's like, no, I'm not. And then like they do the, the pill thing again and basically retread the first movie, just like they did with uh, Star Wars Force Awakens, but had a, a, a stupid but satisfying conclusion. I wouldn't have hated it this much. <laughs> yeah, know. but it, it's, it's just like a, uh, so word like it's, everything is just done worse than it should be. Like even down to that, like cover of like rage against the machine for the end credits. I don't know who the band is and it's not like an attack on that band, but that is a dreadful cover oh, of yeah. an awesome song. And everything about it. It's just like you say, like it's replicating all this stuff, but it just does everything worse. The guy who plays the Morpheus character. He's not a bad actor. He's not he, like, he just can't hold the candle of Lawrence Fishburne. The dude who plays Smith, who I actually really like, he's in that, um... Oh, I love that guy. He's in, uh... Mindhunter, which is, like, the best TV series ever, man. Like, that's a series I'd love to see turn into an actual film, but like, he's a cool actor, but he's just not a good Smith. Like, everything is just a worse-off version of what it should be. Even, like, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss, like, they just weren't really very good in their own characters that they created, you know? Yeah, it's a shame because I I love that actor. I don't remember his name right now, unfortunately, but I love Mindhunter. It's a shame that got canceled after two seasons. But yeah. uh, especially the way they were setting it up for the whole BTK thing in the next season, it would have been awesome. Yeah, I know it'd have been incredible, but uh, mm. such a shame. Um, I think he could have pulled off uh, an agent like character or or Smith. You don't necessarily have to bring Smith back, but they could bring some sort of agent character in there, and he'd been fine. But yeah. he was given such crap material and he to work with. He just didn't seem threatening, and they they dressed him up like kind of uh, metro and like had loafers on and stuff. It's like this isn't threatening. Uh, the, and then the, he's like he's ally at the end. He turns up once and he's like, oh, temporary alliance or something. Yeah, like this. yeah something now he's terrible a good like guy. That. Yeah, he's like oh. our temporary alliance is about to end here. <laughs> I'm gonna go away, and it's just <laughs> it's really really just kind of sad and doesn't really have much of a point. Um, it's always the, my go-to for that type of thing is like I said that Simpsons meme with Pookie and it's like Pookie has to go home I have to go home now and it's just like the character just leaves the scene like that's what it always reminds <laughs> me of yeah it's it, like Pookie it, went back to his home planet and died along the way or whatever it was <laughs> yeah it's yeah they this was a movie that was made before they had the idea for it <laughs> like yeah. they, they didn't have the concept for a sequel but, but they made a movie anyway it's pretty much how i felt about it they did they just yeah my my takeaway like i said i think i mentioned it before but it, it felt like they must have said okay well look we've made this many films or we've done all this it's that hasn't really been successful reboots and remakes are popular right now john uh, john wick um keanu reeves is pretty popular again with the, the wick films video game cultures at an all-time high blah, blah, blah. let's just make another matrix film and that's basically what they happened and that's what we got and it seems 
Like, I mean, we're not alone in our sentiments. Like, the movie is bombing at the box office, which obviously COVID has a, a part in that. But, um, I mean, the Spider-Man film's doing stupid numbers, so that's yeah. obviously not limiting it on, you know. And like you say, that's that's the polar opposite of that kind of member berries thing done properly and done in, like, a wholesome way, like respecting the material, whereas this just feels like it's leeching off the original. Um, yeah, that's that's my biggest takeaway, man. Yeah, and and, uh, like it's great that we got a really good example of Remember Berries versus a really bad example because, like, yeah, Spider Man did. uh, I I, not everything was perfect. Some scenes that should have worked for me didn't, but but the the tributes to uh, Toby and and Andrew's Spider Man were excellent. I thought they were really really well handled, and they they uh, help course correct both of those franchises which had poor endings. You know, nobody. Not many people liked Spider-Man 3. Not many people liked how uh, The Amazing Spider-Man ended out. Uh, but they both kind of improved those those franchises, which is very difficult to do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, to, to, to get validation for the, the main character of the film itself or to get, get him resolution is one thing, but to do it for two other, like, literally just side characters who don't really have any, like, ma- main stakes in the main plot was pretty impressive. Yeah. No, I definitely hats off to, um, I forget his name, but... Uh, I keep on thinking Mark Webb because he's the amazing Spider-Man director. I swear they hired him because his name was Webb. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the, the MCU uh, director and, and the writers, they, they did a pretty good job with that. And uh, I was very impressed with how well that they handled that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. just, yeah, uh, unfiltered. I don't know. Some people are in the comments were claiming that this was like a, the suits had control of this one. I don't think so. I think no, that this, I don't agree at all. No. This is way too meta and risky to be a a, a studio yeah. film, I think. Yeah, no, it's 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 again like we've said it numerous times, both of us. But it's it's Wachowski creative control in full effect, man. Dialed up to eleven is exactly what it is, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I, like I said, having said that, after playing like these Path of Neo games and seeing it again, what they got got were allowed to do back then with that whole stupid shit at the end of that game. Um, yeah, it's this is that's just all it is, you know. Yeah, I'm going to put this on screen to make people remember Path of Neo uh, 2005. Um, not necessarily, oh, this scene and what, what uh, leads up to it, like super meta full of themselves. If they, if they thought themselves that much clever and uh, meta in 2005, I 100% believe that Matrix Resurrections was their idea, not the studios. Yep. So, or at least... I, the one that worked on the film, the other one bailed. But um, yeah, no, it's just... The thing is, too, is that Keanu Reeves is just always said to be such a cool dude, like an amicable guy who's not like a shit stirrer. So he, if if you go and approach anyone with a script for a new film, like that he was in, you know, 20 years ago, whatever, he's the dude who's going to jump on it. Yeah, cool. That sounds awesome, man. I'd love to do that, you know? So it, yeah. it's just the perfect sort of, I don't know, the perfect storm to create it again because you've just you just had that cast of people. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, he, from everything I've read about him, he's a really respectful, down to earth dude. Uh, and he, he even basically, uh, I think he gave up some of his bonus, bonus or money from the Matrix trilogy to his stunt crew. And they yeah. actually t- came back and turned around and made, uh, the John Wick films as kind of a, uh, like a, you know, paying it forward back to him and stuff like that. And it's just like such a wholesome story that he actually cares about the people that he works with. And yeah, uh, 
And that's funny too, is that he's so much more badass in John Wick than he is in this. Like in John Wick, he's, he's I mean, he's not human, but he is human. Like he's a normal dude. He's a cool hitman. But like John Wick would fucking smoke Neo from this new Matrix Resurrections, man, I reckon. Oh, yeah. I mean, he also takes quite a beating in that, especially in the second and third John Wick movie. But uh, yeah, but yeah, I know it. it John Wick is cool, he's collected, he's methodical, and it's the same actor, same, pretty much same age. Uh, he can do something with given the right material in the right direction, so uh, mm. no idea what happened there. I mean, it, John Wick films are definitely made by uh, kind of stunt action coordinators, so it's, that's its focus. They know exactly what to do. They, you know, uh, the, the plot is basically secondary to the action, and that's what kind of makes them so great in that they know that in the end, as long as they deliver a satisfying action movie, they've succeeded. But uh, I, don't, I don't think that Re uh, Resurrections even gets close to being satisfying on an action level either. No, no. The, the, like I said, I watched it with my partner, and um, she's generally, she, like, she's not a massive movie buff. Um, but the only other time she's ever, like, I mean, basically as soon as the credits rolled, she said something to the effect of, like, well, that was a fucking waste of time. You know, words <laughs> to that effect. And the only other time she's ever reacted like that at the end of a film was at the end of Rise of Skywalker, you know, which I also think oh, is one of the worst movies ever made. So, yeah, and I'm not, like, using her as a basis for how to grade a film, but for me, that's, like, that's how I just know this movie was bad and kind of validates all my opinions when, you know, my partner, who just really couldn't care less and is generally pretty easily entertained, was just like, this was just, like, terrible, you know? Like, that's just how infectious it was of how bad it, the whole thing was. Yeah, I have, like, a, a soft-spoken friend who's usually very, very kind about criticism about movies, and, and she was like, I don't like this movie. <laughs> so I, I kind of, I kind of uh, get the same thing. It's just like, yeah, I, I don't know who this movie satisfied. It didn't satisfy critics, didn't satisfy audiences. Like, uh, yeah. usually you expect at least one kind of group to like it. It's been kind of weird, like, either... You know, notice that re recent movies where critics will like it and, and audiences will hate it or the reverse, reverse will happen. It's yep. rare when... Everyone hates this. Yeah, <laughs> everyone hates this one, so I, I don't know what that says about it. <laughs> but I have seen some critics defend it, like saying, oh, you know, it's actually like a really good study on trauma and how people deal with trauma. It's like, no, don't. Please don't try to squeeze that, you know, blood out of a stone with that bullshit. It's just a bad film. Like kinda... People are trying to take like alternate angles of how at what it's actually trying to do. When I think you're giving it far too much credit. Yeah, there's some in some weird articles. Uh, people, I, I don't know if they're just trying to get hate clicks or what, but like I remember one of them, which was one of the stupidest article titles I've ever read, which was like, the Cowboy Bebop Netflix adaptation wasn't supposed to be good. And you're like, what? oh, yeah, that was a classic <laughs> one. Yeah. No, they wanted to make it terrible. Okay, guys, cool. Yeah. Yeah, everybody sets out to make a terrible film or a terrible show. Yeah. <laughs> Alright, I, I, I mean, you could talk about that for hours. I, I watched one episode of that, and that was enough. I was like, no, I'm not going to subject myself to this. Yeah, uh, my, my favorite is that when somebody took uh, like the one of the opening scenes of them talking in the bar and and to Seinfeld music, and it feels like a sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen that. I'll look that up. Yeah, it, it was something like, uh, um, you know, uh, uh, I think uh, what was it? not spike the other uh, jet was saying something about a bidet and it's like yeah. you know uh on the, putting a bidet on his foot or whatever and it's like you're supposed to put that on your uh, you know on your not on your feet on your it's like but do 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 just like the little <laughs> seinfeld tune yeah i'm a bit of a seinfeld nut so i'll have to look that one up that's yeah. funny that's uh, funny <laughs> but uh anyway dude uh unless you wanted to uh 
shoot about anything else, you know, Matrix or otherwise, or talk about your your projects or anything like that. I, I totally up to you. I don't, I didn't want to keep you for too long, so I, um, I know you don't do too many podcasts, but the floor is uh, yours. No, I mean, I think we, yeah, I think we pretty much covered it all, man. Um, yeah, it's 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 just yeah, it's sad, isn't it, seeing one of your sort of favorite, well, not even favorite, but just like a franchise that you've kind of played such a big part in your life in terms of like development of the type of media that you like to consume. Like I said, like it definitely, like it kind of got me into like anime and, and not a lot of anime, but even like Hong Kong action films. Like I really got into that side of things after I saw the matrix for the first time. Do you know what I mean? And it then obviously kind of affected get the games I played. Cause I love things like Max Payne and um, yeah. So it's just weird how you don't really think about how like a single film can really affect you like in kind of a profound way in what your interests kind of become when you develop into an adult. But um, yeah, I just think that makes the whole, the whole result of this fourth film that much more disappointing, you know? Yeah. I kind of had a similar thing. I mean, I think a lot of my tastes were defined by movies like Blade Runner, Matrix, uh, Lord of the Rings, that kind of era. I mean, like uh, Warner Brothers was just like making gold. They, they, they signed on the Matrix. They signed on, Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter within like a span of four years, they were just making pumping out hit hit makers there. But yeah, I know uh, uh, Matrix was one of my probably the, my favorite film for many years, possibly still uh, holds up still um, for for its flaws. Like people argue, like oh, it'd be better if they just did electric eels instead of humans, maybe. But the the point was basically to kind of introduce the concept of you know you can be more than what you are told you can be you can break out of the matrix you can become more powerful than anyone ever ever admitted you could be you know don't just absorb the lies that people spread or the 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 you know prison of your mind that you've uh, been placed into and that you can do great things like that kind of message resounds with everybody so i think that it's still a, an amazing film that also is both superficially really enjoyable with the the special effects and and the action but also has some interesting you know it doesn't get too deep into them but has some interesting theme themes and philosophy behind it as well i think it's a great mix yeah um no i agree um and and then just the way it's kind of like enveloped out into well, not enveloped i mean like spread out into the gaming culture and stuff um for better or worse but um yeah it's had a profound effect on everything and i mean the fact we're still talking about those you know, sequels and that now is, is somewhat of a testament to them, I suppose, as, as crappy as they are. But um, yeah, no, it's just good to it's good to have vindication at least and to chat about it and just to know that I'm not the only one who's, you know, sort of had that kind of relationship with it over the years, I think. Yeah, I think if anything, this is just ri- uh, gone. This new movie has gone to just vindicate the, the original film because I see tons of people talking about how great the original movie is again. I'm like, it took it took uh, two mediocre sequels and one terrible sequel to make people realize the original is still great. <laughs> yeah, I, I and I'll defend that first movie so much. Like I said, my yeah. mate recently who was like, "Oh, that movie's aged so badly. It's like so '90s," and I'm like, "Dude, it's it's timeless. Like, it because it's not even it it doesn't have like a date set to it. It's it's just sort of its own thing set somewhere, you know, in the distant future. And then I think like that whole like um premise man of machines rising up like that's not that whole thing isn't going anywhere dude that's still like a lingering threat right the whole ai thing that's not going anywhere that's just going to get more and more scary the closer we get to it yeah i mean as all sci-fi does uh the final result of the real world is usually different than real uh than how reality does it but 
I there's tons of things that have been pro, uh, kind of prophesied in sci-fi that have come into reality just in a different form. Like, uh, I don't think that machines are going to rise up and imprison us all, but there is a a absolutely real threat of machines replacing uh, blue blue collar jobs. Absolutely. Yeah. So like that could become its own thing where you have uh, robots doing all everybody's jobs. Um, people become unemployed. They can't take care of themselves, or they just become aimless and purposeless and start. Yeah, society degrades like all that stuff is absolutely a real thing that could happen and people like elon musk have talked about it that it's a kind of an inevitability at this point so it's it's a very interesting concept how that'll play out in re- reality we don't know but uh yeah i mean yeah it's not getting any dumber <laughs> we'll put it that way no 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 definitely not so. anyway man it's been awesome talking to you and and uh sort of in person live for the first time but uh yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, we should do this again sometime. I, I'd be totally down for a, a Mad Max retrospective at some point. I, I love those films and I love the uh, couple good games in there too, uh, officially and otherwise. Yeah, actually, like, it's funny because, like, you know, I got the YouTube side of things and um, I did, like, a review for the game, like, years ago. I think it came out, like, 2015 or something. I think so, um, yeah. Yeah, and I went through a period where I used to review, like, because I was just trying to rush videos out to get them for launch dates because I didn't have, like, review codes back then. And I rushed through Mad Max, and I remember, like, not liking it. But then I think I went back and replayed it, you know, a couple years later, and I was like, man, this game's actually really good. Once you take the time to, like, really get into it, and you you go driving out in, in, like, the wasteland, and you drive through, like, thunderstorms, like, electrical storms and that. It's like I really started to appreciate that game a lot more. So, um, yeah, I think, like, that that franchise has been treated treated pr- pretty fairly i think throughout the years you know yeah um a lot of people kind of have an issue with thunderdome um i i i like road warrior the best of the original trilogy but i think that thunderdome gets kind of poorly treated i think there's a lot of good things about thunderdome it's, it's some silly stuff too but i thunderdome yeah, is definitely one's probably the weakest yeah first one just just like because i live in obviously i'm australian so like i can recognize like that Australian culture in like the seventies is really cringy to me. I'd say the first one's probably age the worst, man. Yeah, and I, I kind of like how each film would kind of retcon the the previous one. Like the first one wasn't really even that post apocalyptic. It was just the outback, mm-hmm. pretty much. So like they didn't actually even have necessarily an apocalyptic theme. It was the second one was that solidified that we were in some you know post nuke world or whatever, but. uh post collapse world but uh yeah. yeah i think the first one was like natural resources were pretty thin at that point like gasoline yeah. was like a commodity but it wasn't like full-on like post-apocalyptic yeah second one was like now nah, okay now we're fucked basically yeah the first one had a working police uh force they had like civilization beach houses yeah. things like that the second one is they have the intro where it talks about how oil oil ran out and people started like society collapsed i the third one solidifies that actual cities were nuked or destroyed, but the mm. second one, it's kind of a different theme for each one, but yeah, it wasn't always necessarily post-apocalyptic. The, the second and third one really solidify that, but yeah, I'd agree. First one's basically your, your average revenge thriller. You know, it doesn't really have too much that sets it apart from something that, you know, my family was murdered. I get revenge, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. They actually but, filmed it near where I live too. Like literally the well the, the, the place they filmed it isn't there anymore because it's all been turned into construction, like apartments and houses and stuff. But um yeah, they filmed it down the beach near where I live. So I could still go down there to that spot. There's like a scene where Max was hanging out with his wife and a few of those scenes, yeah, right near my house. So 
it's pretty cool seeing it up there on the movie for this random, you know, cult film that <laughs> hasn't aged all that great in retrospect. Yeah, yeah, it is cool seeing movie places and and uh, in reality. Like when I went to LA, I, n- I recognized a couple theaters that people shoot shoot in front of a couple times. Uh, mm. But yeah, I don't live near any right now. I live anywhere near anything that's very popular. I think that Morgan Freeman shot a couple films in my city that I'm in now right, right now. But like other than that, <laughs> it's not really memorable. But that's cool that you live near Mad Max stuff. I I know Australia is huge, so I would never expect you to be anywhere near where they shot but that is pretty neat that you are oh well dude to talk about the matrix like you know they the first one was shot in sydney half the shots in that film uh the literally the block around the office i used to work out when i had my first video editing job yeah like the shot when they come out of their sewers when they've just escaped from the hotel when just before um cypher like betrays him um and the bit when uh neo's running away from the agents and he's on the streets half of that is like literally you can walk out from my office and you turn your head different you know 45 degrees this way you'll see that spot they shot it's all in this one block in surrey hills that's awesome yeah, yeah. It's, it's always cool watching it and i know yeah the a lot of them you can actually see my old parking garage where i used to park on my way to work <laughs> like in one shot yeah that's super cool yeah I, yeah I i think that sydney was was a good choice and not only just from a production standpoint but also just from a uh it's not a city you see too much in movies. Uh, so it mm. kind of served as like an interesting like model city that was kind of indistinct. Like people know the Empire State Building. They know, you know, uh, famous landmarks in, in uh, San Francisco and L.A. Very often L.A. because that's where they shoot all these Hollywood movies. But uh, Sydney, they, I think they specifically tried to didn't try to shoot too many. Uh, obviously, stayed well clear away from the opera house because that's like the one yeah. place that people would recognize, but they try to keep it generic or indistinct enough so that it could be any city basically, which I thought was really clever. Yeah. I think the golden gates in resurrections in like one shot, we see the golden gate bridge and straight away I was like, Oh, San Fran. Okay. Ruined immersion killed. Don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. Cause like, again, kind of like uh, where we talked about dark city, uh, the matrix could be applied to any city. Maybe it is only a city, maybe metropolitan uh, or sorry, metro- metropolitan life. Uh, in a 1999 city is the perfect prison for your mind. Maybe just that level of technology, that sort of scenery, that sort of uh, advancedness without too much, you know, going too much in the, in the future, too much in the past is perfect. Obviously it was, it was shot in 1998. So they're going to use modern technology for a basis, but uh, in retrospect, they could have picked any year in theory, you know, they could have picked yeah. 20 or, you know, 1980 or whatever. So I think it's kind of, like you said, they, it, it, they do specifically say that the, the Matrix is set in 1999 in the original, just because that's when the movie was made. But I, I get the idea that it's like, I think Morpheus says it's like, it's the peak of our civilization. So it's like mm-hmm. the golden age of just where everything was going just right. And funnily enough, kind of prophetic 9-11 happened two years later. So it, it might yeah. actually have been, who knows, but it's just an interesting little moment of time where everything ten- was tended to go just right. Technology was booming and people were just, just kind of uh, invested enough into the world and technology to be happy and contented with their lives and not questioning things. So I think that's perfect. Yeah. Well, I, I kind of always interpreted it too, in the sense of like, it's, it wasn't about what we were doing. It was just about the routine. Like, you know, cause Neo works this like boring cubicle job. And there's even that scene when, like, he's in his office and he gets the mobile phone, which is, like, when Morpheus calls him. And people are like, oh, there's a mistake there. Like, he just sits in front of, like, a blank computer. But I kind of always thought that that was, like, 
the way it was interpreted was just like that the Mac just doesn't care what you do. It's just more like that routine of you're following the rules. It's like, hey, you go to work, you sit in your cubicle for eight hours and you go home. Like the fact that the boss like even says to him, like, you know, you were late to work today. If this happens again, you know, basically don't come back. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just the whole part of that thing was just like, we're just programmed to follow the rules and do this, this and this. And yeah, again, I mean, that's kind of what that the subtlety in that first movie just handled so well when in the fourth movie they spent half the film in a fucking coffee place, like drinking flat whites and cappuccinos. You know what I mean? Like half this, I'll have a muffin with my coffee and there's like this really weird, again, going back to it, the little group of uh, gamer devs, man, who, you know, sit there having all this <laughs> wacky dialogue, bro, you know? <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it just, the script for Resurrection thought it was so clever and that's what makes it so insufferable when it's not clever. It's actually quite dumb. Like the, the original movie script actually deserves a lot more credit than it gets for subtle little things. Like I, I keep on noticing new little, little hints and, and foreshadowings here and there. Like, just like you said, and the office scene, uh, nobody would even care if he turned on his monitor as long as his boss didn't catch him, whatever. Like he just had to conform to that system. He had to show up to work. They didn't really even care what he did as long as whatever his minimum quota was met, you know, basically. Yeah. Uh, but that, that scene is so great. Every single line in that scene is so great because uh, when that, that uh, postal or uh, you know, UPS or whatever, you know, delivery guy comes and gives him that package, which has the phone, he asks uh, Thomas Anderson. Uh, and this is just after we found out that uh, Ken Reeves is both Neo, the hacker at night, and Thomas yeah. Anderson, the software developer during the day. The delivery guy says, Thomas Anderson. And Neo just kind of sighs, that's me. And just yeah. like, that sort of, uh, sort of like disappointed acceptance is just heart, kind of heartbreaking because he's like, yep, I'm just Thomas Anderson. That's who I am. And the subtext of that is just so great because every single time uh, the agents or anybody addresses them, it's Thomas Anderson, Mr. Anderson. Yeah, Mr. Anderson. Yeah, but, plus the, um, he, 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 he looks completely shocked when he gets a mobile phone because it's not part of the programming. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Obviously, they've infiltrated it, and the guy gives him the phone, and he kind of goes, he's like, like genuinely shocked. He's just like, "What the fuck is this? Like, that's just this is like unheard of that I get a phone at my office." Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, it's a lot of subtle little things like that in there. Yeah, and I like how the movie um, acknowledged the unusualness of it all. That's something you don't get very often. I liked how the fact that his computer showed a message on his screen, he acknowledged that's freaking weird. The fact that he got a cell phone delivered and it rings as soon as he opens it, that's super weird. So the movie is acknowledging how strange and uncharacteristically uh, well-timed all this is happening, which I think it can be explained by the fact that they're hacking into the Matrix and doing all this stuff. They can see the code. You know, the operator looks yeah. at, the, at the code, so he can, he can see a lot more than the average human can see. But uh, I, I, I love that they acknowledge how weird it is and um, I've watched several other films and, and things that have that sort of we're living in a simulated reality, like even Dark City does it, you know, uh, their 13th floor, uh, Existence, and even more recently, I think it was Bliss did a similar thing. Lots of different medias tackled it, but the best, the best scene that tackles the acceptance of your, re your world is not real is got to be Keanu Reeves breaking down in the real world. Like, he's like, his vision's going blurry. He's like, he's falling onto his knees. He's spinning, like, and he just yeah. throws up and passes out. Like, that's that's yeah. what I would out. expect. Out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, get me out of here. Get me out of here. You know, 
uh, like yeah. that, that's a great that, that his reaction was perfect there like he gets a lot of flack for being very dull but i think he did really well in this movie yeah um, no definitely uh yeah definitely agree <laughs> yeah anyway this is a great chat man um anything that anything relevant or fun that people can look forward to on your channel um yeah just i'll be doing that i'll be putting that path and neo video out hopefully tomorrow if not the day after so that's um yeah and then i'm done with the matrix for a long long time that's all i can say <laughs> sadly I, I think i said on my one of my recent tweets i was like this killed an already comedic franchise like just was already like d asleep for a long long time unconscious and you just you just killed it in sleep <laughs> people weren't yeah, expecting it's weird anything. it's like you made the joke before about waking up Stanley Kubrick and then killing him again. That's what they just did to this <laughs> franchise. They woke it up and just killed it straight away. It's like, nice work, guys. Yeah, I, I think we could we could easily just say, like, yeah, Matrix was great, started out, and then it got a little weird and kind of bad toward the end. But, you know, you can kind of watch what you like, play what you like, and kind of absorb what you like, and, and you're good. But this one's like, reminds us of all the bad that this franchise could have gone toward. And then it's like, yeah. bye. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's very disappointing. Yeah, anyway, uh, yeah, thanks so much for coming on and uh, uh, have a great day. It's uh, beginning of your day, so you probably have plenty of <laughs> plenty of time left. And uh, yeah, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, G-Man Lives can be found for any Google search pretty much. And uh, are, are you you're working on the Path of Neo review at some point, yeah? Yeah, no, it's, uh, I'm finishing it up now. It's just a matter of, um, yeah, seeing what else I can do to it. <laughs> Yeah, just to make I, it a little more interesting. But there's there's so much to say. It's actually like it's taken me so long to get through it because the game is super long. It's you would think it would be a quick sort of thing with being a movie time, but it's it's like a 15 hour long game, man. It just keeps going. That's nuts. Yeah, I mean, and, it, um, yeah, I'm trying I'm trying to to um do comparisons on the recreated movie scenes, which are probably the, the biggest highlights of the game. Like seeing how they've poorly recreated those scenes in a game engine. So that's kind of taken a little bit longer than usual. But yeah, I'm I, I'm pretty excited about it. I think it'll be a pretty entertaining video. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it because uh, I I couldn't get through the whole thing uh, when I played it. It was just too rough. Like between the the kind of complicated controls and terrible performance, I had a really hard time with it. Uh, but I'm looking forward to your coverage of it. And I, I love how when everybody was fawning over the Unreal Engine 5 demo that they did for the promotion of the new Matrix movie, I love how you yeah. just grabbed that scene from <laughs> Path of Neo. It's like, man, these graphics are crazy. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. I, could, I couldn't resist. It was just like perfect timing that I was like playing it at the time. I was like, oh, hang on a sec. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Anyway, uh, thanks so much, man. I'll uh, talk to you later. Thanks, man. It's good to have a chat to you.